Get in the action on the Action Addicts Podcast. No greater faction than the action movie scene. Get in the action on the Action Addicts Podcast. Your satisfaction, action on the silver screen. Hello ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the show. You're listening to the Action Addicts Podcast and my name is Scott Wiley and I will be your host. That was a weird way of doing the intro, but it worked. Speaking of, this is going to be a bit of a weird episode in general, so in all honesty that pretty much fits. As you will have seen from the title, we are going to be talking about the Jackie Chan and Jet Li starring film The Forbidden Kingdom. This is actually a personal favourite of mine, I saw this in the cinema. And as you'll hear when I hand you over to this week's guest, Lindsay Wilkins of the Schlock and Awe podcast, it was a first-time watch for her, but it is very much not a first-time watch for me. I saw this film with my dad and my granddad, and I don't think I actually say this in the episode, but this might have been one of the last times that I think the three of us went to the cinema as a trio, properly, because unfortunately, due to stuff that happened in real life, my granddad was not able to go to the cinema very often for a while. He did eventually regain the ability to do that. It wasn't his health that was the issue, it's that he was somebody else's full-time carer. Forbidden Kingdom kind of meant a lot to me at the time, because it was one of those memories that I have that basically is we could still all just talk about films and nothing serious in inverted commas was looming on the horizon to do with life. At least that's what I thought at the time. (laughs) That uh, was very far from the truth. But when I was sat in the cinema watching this, I didn't know all of that and I was uh, very happy. Uh, And as you will hear me discuss, my initial reactions to the film is not necessarily how I feel about the film now, because uh, I like it a lot more now than I did then. And I liked it then, but a lot of the criticisms that people level against this film are valid, and I think I probably felt them very hard back then. So... I'm going to hand you over to myself and Lindsay in a minute so you can actually hear us discuss it. This is a ridiculously long one, and I didn't even realise until I went back to edit it. I don't remember this being long. just goes to show how much we enjoy talking about it. However, speaking of things I didn't remember, this is the first episode that was recorded when I got a new laptop. Those regular listeners among you will know that I had a period of inactivity because my old laptop died, and that was kind of a problem, because I had nothing to edit the podcast, record the podcast, and I had a bunch of files that I needed, which was still on the old one, for the episodes that have been stuck in limbo. That's why the previous episode on Triple X The Return of Xander Cage, which by the way you really seem to like, uh, that one shot up and listens really quick. So, yeah, thumbs up for Triple X. But uh, that's why that one is talking about how hot it is in summer and why it's before either of us were married, because that's how long ago it was. 
This one is uh, still from 2022, but it's literally like the end of 2022 now. I even say Happy New Year at the end. But the thing I forgot, which is why I'm telling you all of this, is I immediately downloaded Zoom in preparation for this recording, and you'll even hear me say I did it in a kind of a rush the night before because I just forgot that Zoom isn't going to be on my laptop because I'm so used to everything being set up. But of course, everything's brand new. The laptop had nothing on it. Unfortunately, what I didn't think about until after the fact is the settings that I use for the calls and for, more importantly, recording, you have to set all that up. And I didn't. And I left everything as default, which means that I only have one audio track for the two of us, which means there is a lot more background noise and random noises from the two of us when the other one is speaking than there normally is. You might not even notice it, which is fine, but I did, because I edited it. <laughs> so that annoys me. But also, of all episodes to have this problem with, we both have colds, which we will tell you in a minute. And uh, I'd completely forgotten that until I re-listened to it, and man, can you hear it in my voice? Or at least I can. And we're both very scatterbrained, which might be the other reason why this is a long one. So, do bear with us. We were ill. And this was the first recording when I got my new laptop and nothing was set up how I wanted it. And I'm pretty sure this was when my microphone was also giving me issues and I was terrified that I also had to replace that. Which, thankfully, fingers crossed, touch wood, has not ended up being the case. So with that said, here you go guys. No further waiting. Strap yourself in. Let's go back to a simpler time. The year of 2008 when Jackie Chan and Jet Li were still lords of the cinema in the West, and everything was right in the world. Alright ladies and gentlemen, we're back in the room, and the first thing I'm gonna say, I wasn't going to, but I'm going to now, is apologies if we both sound a bit weird throughout this particular episode, because it turns out We've both got colds at the same time, so the buddies that suffer together stay together. Welcome back to the show, Lindsay. How are you doing? Uh, good. Apart from this cold, I am doing very, very well. <laughs> I'm kind of not that I'm glad you have a cold, but I'm glad that we you also have a cold. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not glad you have a cold, but I'm glad you have a cold. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> sauce, but not sauce. Ah, <laughs> uh, so. Uh, just because I realized the other day when I when uh, I was listening back to the last episode you were on, because this will this is your third time back, I think, uh, if my brain yes. is working. Yeah, I think that's right. And thank you for keep asking me back. This is amazing because yeah, I do love your show. So um, yeah, this is the third time. <clears throat> oh, I, I appreciate that. I like having you on. I like your show. And that was what I was going to say is when you were on last time. I think we kind of forgot to, like, for people who who didn't listen to the very first episode, would you mind telling people who perhaps are unfamiliar with you or haven't listened to those episodes what your show is and who you are? Uh, yeah, I, I run a show called Schlock and Awe, which is a double feature podcast. And generally there are no rules, but I do like to try and um, pair up different genres um, and movies that may you don't would not think of being in a pairing together. Uh, like, um, our you, episode you came on for our one, which was, uh, Daleks Inva Invasion Earth 2050, I think, something 2150. 
It was yeah, a doc- yeah. early Doctor Who movie. I'm forgetting the name. <laughs> this is already off to a good start. And also uh, Hardware, which is two robot movies, both British, but done in this completely um, different way. So uh, that's kind of the, the things I like to do. Yeah. And if you're not listening to the show or you've uh, got it in your queue but haven't got around to it yet, then I would recommend giving it a go because there'll be something there that you're interested in because these double feature films are always super interesting. I think you did one quite recently with uh, other frequent guests of the show, Andy Gorham, and I can't listen to it yet because one of the films I haven't seen and I'm like, oh, I really want to see that. And then I'll the first thing I'm going to do afterwards is listen to the episode. I know because I do go into spoilers even if it's a new movie I can't help myself um even when I did a new movie I forgot to say spoiler alert and then the guest was just like oh this thing happens I'm like oh wait shit we're doing spoilers <laughs> so yeah expect spoilers um but no that was a really fun episode with Andy it was Solo a Star Wars story and Willow from 1988 so the Ron Ron Howard double and before then I did like a a 1955 melodrama with Summertime and uh, The Third Man from 1949, which is a great noir with Orson Welles and Joseph Cotton. So, yeah, the, the, and, and then, of course, your episode with Doctor Who. It, the movies go all over the place. Uh, so it's, you never know what to – yeah, I like the fact that I could just do any movie I want. Oh, yeah, well, like you say, sometimes that's great and it's nice and freeing to just be able to go, what film do I feel like doing today? What mm. would pair well with that? Hey, random person, what do you think would pair well with that? That's a good idea. Come on the show. <laughs> that's, that's pretty much how I do most of my show. <laughs> so, today's film of choice, as I will have hinted at in the intro, because my intros are getting worse, not better, is uh, <laughs> it's 2008's The Forbidden Kingdom. And I know for a fact that you haven't seen this film, because when you were last on to talk about... Uh, the Samo Hung Thick clip. The Samo Hung Thick. The Samo Hung Thick. It's an easy trip. Yes. <laughs> uh, encounters of the spooky kind. We were talking about the very end, the various battles that happen between the spirits and the gods. And I said to you about uh, Forbidden Kingdom, and you were like, no, I haven't seen it. So that's where this episode kind of came from, because. The second you said you hadn't seen it, I was like, ha ha, someone I can call into watching it and then come and talk with me with it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I love when that happens. No, all um, I didn't even know who was in it when you mentioned it. And then I looked it up and went, oh, cool. Jackie Chan, Jet Li. That's wow. Um, but that is all I knew about it going in. No, I mean, uh, obviously, this is a first time watch for you. For me, this probably was like the second uh, I was going to say second doesn't, and then I was like, no, that doesn't work. But it, it, I've seen this a few times because I've shown mm. it to so many people. I watched it a few times when it was released originally. I did see this film in the cinema, and I was very much following its development at the time because, you know, Jet Li and Jackie Chan in the same film at last was kind of like I was uh, hooked to this film. And this was before... This is this is what always makes me chuckle. Is like this was just before the Expendables basically started, and it was sort of like, oh yes. Mm. So so I had Jet Li and Jackie Chan finally teaming up, and then the Expendables happened, where most of the action people that I liked teamed up, and it was sort of like, 
Yes! <laughs> you know, this was... Okay, just straight off the bat, this was actually a delightful surprise. Uh, as I said, I had no idea what to expect, so I was not expecting, like, a never-ending story, um, kid in King Arthur's Court, um, last action hero kind of movie, And but you have Jet Li and Jackie Chan running around in it, and it, yeah, it was so delightful. Oh, so you liked it then, from the sounds of that? I did! I was not expecting to, especially because I was sort of looking it up, and then I went, wait, Rob, who's Rob Minkoff? Director of Stuart Little and co-director of The Lion King. I just want to put that out there. Just... Yep. I, I was actually going to mention that because the director is the, is, is the guy that did Stuart Little and the writer is the person that did Spirit and uh, Young Guns. And it's like, it's not exactly the sort of stuff you go, oh yeah, they're the guys that are going to bring us uh, Jackie Chan and Jet Li together for the first time. That makes perfect sense, you know? Yeah, this is not a movie. I mean, usually it'd be like an Expendables-type movie, which they did, or it would be something along the lines of a um, a, a big collaboration between a, between those guys because Jet Li and especially Jackie Chan um, do tend to like their own productions and do their own uh, choreography and all that kind of thing. So, yeah, this is not the movie I would expect those two to actually meet up in the middle, but <laughs> it, that's the way we got it, and I'm kind of happy about it. I think, uh, cause, uh, you know, there's there's lots of people's opinions on this film that, that go all over the place. And I read one last night because I was surprised to see that there are articles, uh, you know, written as recently as a month ago about this film. Mm. And I won't say who it is because there's other stuff in it that I'm going to sort of maybe lambast later. But... One of uh, one of the consistent things was the surprise at the fact that, like you said, we have a director that wasn't known for these sorts of films, and we have a writer that wasn't known for these sorts of films. But I think you just hit the nail on the head, which is that Jackie and Jet wanted to be in a position where they had quite a lot of say and control. And I think that both of them, from what I remember at the time and from interviews that they've done, they were trying to get a project with the two of them in the leads together for quite some time. And just for some reason, no one seemed to want to do it. Like Hollywood didn't want to do it. The China didn't want to do it. And anytime they got close to it, they couldn't get any money for it. And I think part of the reason is they didn't want to make the pinnacle of martial arts film. They clearly wanted to make something that was more family friendly and uh, sort of more focused on mythology and story than just seeing two of the best martial arts legends show off their skills. I think they both collectively went, yeah, we've got whole armies of films where you can go see us do that. We kind of want to do something a bit more unexpected. And I think getting people that don't do these sorts of films for their bread and butter was a big part of that, you know? Well, yeah, I mean, I know, sorry, I know, um, Chan and, uh, Jet Li's done a lot of historical movies, especially like Hero and all those kind of things. But yeah, because this movie is such about a reference to the Shaw brothers and Jackie Chan and Jet Li became, were the generation afterward. I mean, Jackie Chan was more known as a golden harvest guy, just as the Shaw brothers were kind of dipping down. And I don't know where, I don't know as much about Jet Li, so I don't know where he, what studio or where he got his, his, 
kind of start or if it was either in China or in Hong Kong or kind of where it was. Um, but I was kind of going, oh, this is a Shaw Brothers movie and the big stars are like a famous Golden Harvest guy, but they're not so known for their big as, except for Jet Li and Hera, which I know is a big movie, that kind of big family kind of fantasy Chinese mythology movie isn't as something you would always associate, especially with Jackie Chan. So the fact that he got to make, so I can sort of imagine him going, no, you do like police story or you do um, these other movies where it's more contemporary and it's more acrobatic. It's not necessarily the wire work. I, I could be very wrong in this. So yes, I, I realize I'm very still new to this, but it kind of felt like a little bit out of his wheelhouse than say his other movies that he's most known for. So yeah, I could kind of see that. Like every actor gets pinned down in their own um in their own kind of little thing of what people expect from them. Uh so <laughs> Jet Li started in mainland China. He was mm. one of the I always hate saying a sentence like this because it sounds so disparaging to everybody else, but he genuinely was the like leading light that sort of mainland China could actually make martial art films on par with Hong Kong because mm. they really weren't. Jet Li literally has. They're been still famous. behind, yeah. Whoa. They still they still seem behind Hong Kong in that respect. Um, even though I've seen some of their contemporary movies and they are very beautiful, but they are not what Hong Kong does. <laughs> yeah, um, Jet Li has been famous in China since he was like eleven. Both of his parents were martial art masters, icons in their own right, and he was basically. Uh, I don't want to say forced, uh, but he was put on the path of following in their footsteps, whether he wanted to or not. Like he was enrolled at the Chinese Academy of Wushu when he was still single digits. So by the ah. time he was like a teenager, he was better than most 20 year olds. And he was competing mm. in adult tournaments in Wushu and winning against 20 year olds. So <laughs> the fact that he was so good is what got him seen by the movie industry and he was in a couple of documentaries about wushu and then i think literally when he was like 17 18 is when he first did a film and he was funnily enough playing a kung fu monk ah yes um no because he's always seems to be around and that would make sense because when you look how old he is he's like he feels very young but no that would make sense that is he's just done this all his life yeah um because that's that's one of the things that you were saying about Jackie Chan. I mean, Jackie Chan definitely is, I think, more known these days for those police stories, the rush hours, all of his uh, action mm. comedies. But in his early career, he definitely had a few films that were set back in the day, more in the old mm. school. I mean, even some of his films like Project A so sort of do have that film. But like you say, they're missing the wire work. They're not Wuxia films. And mm, exactly, yeah. But he did do a couple of them, but nowhere near to the same degree. And this leads me nicely into who the action director of this film is, because although the main director of the film might be a, a bit of an oddball choice, uh, perhaps the action director, the choreographer, the stunt director, whatever role you want to give him, because he's accredited as all three on IMDb. <laughs> <laughs> is Yun Wu Ping, who needs no introduction if you know anything about martial art films. I mean, he did the fights for The Matrix. He directed the Jet Li films Once Upon a Time in China 1 and 2. 
can't remember if he did three, but he he'd worked with Jet Li on those films where he was basically playing a similar character, and more importantly than that, he worked with Jackie Chan on the original Drunken Master film. So in this film, Jackie's playing a drunken master and Jet Li's playing a warrior monk. It's like, hmm. <laughs> uh, yes, and I just I want to say he also directed uh, actually Donnie Yen in one of my favorite action movies, uh, Iron Monkey, uh, which I absolutely friggin adore, um, and that is why I work up to the to the hilt. But yeah, yeah, you're right. I was sort of halfway watching through watching this. I'm going, am I just generalizing the fact that this guy, this is the only real guy I know who does fight choreography in in this area? But is this a Wu Ping Yun movie? Look up. Oh, yes, it is. <laughs> I don't know. You, I, I was kind of proud of myself for that, actually, because I usually never get that. But I think it was just a really lucky guess on my part. <laughs> I, I, I don't think it was lucky. I think that mm. a lot of people, um, a lot of people have tried to imitate his work over the years, especially once it became so popular post The Matrix. And mm. I don't think anyone's really succeeded. And I think that the second you've understood what a Yun Wooping film looks like, you can immediately go, this feels like it is him. And that nine times out of ten, even like you say, people like my friends who aren't really that into this sort of stuff, even they can sort of go, this is kind of reminded me of like Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon and The Matrix. And then it's like, yeah, there's a reason for that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there's a wonderful way that he uses um, clothing in his fights, especially, well, I'm jumping ahead. But to the main fight between uh, Jet Li and Jackie Chan, which is amazing, um, they are throwing their robes around, and it is a very much a okay. Um, we're going to play to each other's sort of strengths in terms of fighting, but we're also going to make it this beautiful kind of almost ballet, which is what he does. I mean, if you've ever watched well, yeah, Crouching Tiger, Iron Monkey, this movie, there's almost this beautiful flowing of floating clothes and it's purely just because um of how the actors move with with the martial arts um and I was, that's when i went hang on a minute this looks familiar <laughs> yeah i mean that we, we will definitely be talking about that fight between jackie chan and jet lee but i don't want to get too ahead of ourselves yet so for those who may be a bit more unfamiliar with this film a go and watch it because thankfully you've got two people saying that it's worth watching because uh, I wasn't entirely sure what you would make of it, because there are quite a lot of people that are not fans of this film, and I'm sad. Oh, I have, I have quibbles, but overall, I I was just the even the first as soon as uh, Michael Arango arrived in this mystical China, I was grinning from ear to ear. I was just like, okay, I, I'm whatever happens in this movie, I'm going to be on board with. Um, I have a few quibbles, but it doesn't take away from the splendor that is this movie. It feels like a little bit of a hidden treasure. Well, it's funny because uh, that was kind of what I was going to lead into, which is uh, Michael Angarano's character, Jason Tropidicus. From, I think, from Selfie. <laughs> yeah. I, I think his character is where a lot of people either immediately will hate this film or will just go with it and see what it has to offer. But I know so many people who write this film off purely because, depressingly, he is the main character. And I think everybody was like, but I'm watching this for Jackie Chan and Jet Li, and it's like, yeah, they are in it. I mean, for, they play like two different roles each. Like, there's plenty of them in this film, but they are, yeah. You get one of them on screen all the time. Like, it's not you're not going to be lacking for Jackie Chan or Jet Li. 
I, I, I've got to ask, and this might be a silly question because you're probably going to laugh and say, of course, but I know so many people that didn't. Did you register that that was uh, Jackie Chan at the very beginning playing old hop? It took me a few moments. Like, I think it was that he made a facial expression. I went, oh, wait, oh, Jackie Chan. Yep, yep, there he is. <laughs> it did take me a few minutes because they keep him in shadow quite a bit. And because he's very, being very old and mumbly, and it does start off as this very um, Gremlins-esque kind of Asian 80s stereotype where I was just like, going, okay, what's going on? And then you see him in makeup and you're like, well, I hmm, yeah, something else must be going on because it's Jackie Chan and I can't imagine him putting up with that kind of think gross stereotype, but I think it's, yeah, because this is an American movie. This isn't a, um, it's got a lot of Hong Kong. Most of the actors are uh, Chinese and Hong Kong and uh, are from, from Asia. It is very much steeped in Asia, the Asian mythology and the Asian community, but it is very much a, um American thing. So when you sort of start off, I'm like, oh, wait, are we in Gremlins right now? So, um, but yeah, it did, it did uh, t- take me a few minutes. But once he's holding the staff, I'm like, oh, yeah, that, that's Jackie. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, um, I think that to what you just said, like, I know that a lot of people who really know their mythologies get annoyed because this film does exactly what you just said, which is it takes really complex, detailed mythologies of a country and then just flattens them to make them into a nice, easy, digestible, westernized cookie, essentially. Yes. And the thing is with that is, they did it. Like you said, there are so many people from Hong Kong, from China, working on this project. Jet Li and Jackie Chan themselves are on it. Yun Wu Ping was an executive producer. It doesn't bother any of them to do this. And they wanted something that everybody could enjoy. And much like how when any film does anything about Greek mythology or Norse mythology or most mythologies, to be fair, um, you have to find that in point for audiences that have no familiarity to this and try and make this story make sense for people that don't know these characters. And, you know, if you don't know them, trying to just immediately jump in and go, well, everybody knows who Sun Wukong is, everybody knows five elements mountains the kingdoms of heaven and all of this it's like the monkey no. king and all that yeah yeah no. and i think uh, personally just, i know it annoys some people but i think it was something they needed to do you know well no i think there's a there's a fine line okay i'm about to this movie i kept comparing it to is a movie that came okay i'm just about to diss shang chi and i'm sorry because i know a lot of people didn't like that movie i didn't um but one thing diss i away. did notice <laughs> One thing I did notice about this movie, um, because this is a Western-made movie about the um, Asian mythology, at a certain point, there is exposition that you get a story. You uh, Jackie Chan tells you a story near the top about who the Monkey King is, who the staff is, what happened, and why they need to go on this journey. And you do get this cool visual of of Jet Li as the Monkey King, which I took that took me longer actually. To go, what is that? Oh, that is Jet Li. Jet Li. Um, but. This movie also does all that and is kind of wanting everyone to enjoy it, but there's a certain moment when it trusts the audience that even if they don't understand every point of the mythology, they're going to be able to live in this world, which is something I don't think Shang-Chi ever did. Uh, there was so much exposition in that movie about explaining different Chinese 
mythological points and also Marvel mythological points that it never quite trusted you to actually just accept the world that you were kind of in. And that was the most frustrating part. I mean, yes, I'm never going to completely hate it because it has Tony Leung and his cheekbones and I'm, and Michelle Yeoh and her cheekbones, and I love staring at them. But the movie never – I just kept being bombarded with these different exposition points, and I was like, look, just I, – I know that I don't understand everything, but let me live in this world and let me just kind of experience it for a little bit. You don't need to keep telling me. And this movie did a so much better job at just going, you know what? These people are magic. You're in this amazing world. Just enjoy. And I think that had a lot to do with all the people who worked on this going, yeah, we need to set this up so all the all the main questions are answered, why they're there, what they're doing, who are the bad guys, all that kind of thing, and then it just let you the movie go on. And it was really nicely done in that way. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think that's an excellent point. It's one of those things where you have to, at some point, just go, the audience has either bought into this world by now or they haven't, and just mm. deal with it. And I think, like you said, so many films, that I don't think it's just Chang-Chi that do this, but oh, so no. many films... Oh, no, that was just the one I thought of. <laughs> oh, no, no, I, I agree. Like, mm. I haven't done an episode on Chang-Chi specifically because I don't think I'm, I've made up my mind on whether or not I liked it or I didn't. And I don't want to get into that because that will be a massive off-topic conversation. <laughs> but, yes, um, yes, it will. <laughs> but uh, it's one of those things where I get frustrated when I, I read some reviews of films and people are like, oh, you know, I couldn't buy into this world or I didn't think it was realistic. And especially in something like the Forbidden Kingdom's case, it's like it's not supposed to be realistic. And I used to be not one of those people but when i first watched this film i distinctly remember my reaction to seeing that it was a lot of wire work and i was annoyed because like i think a lot of people that's not the film that i want to see from a jackie chan jet lee duo i wanted to see unleashed meets police story and i think expecting that in and of itself was half the problem with this film's reception is that's what everybody kind of wanted and the fact that you couldn't then appreciate it for what it actually is, which I think has started to happen since, because now the film is rated a lot higher on IMDb. The reviews I read are a lot more positive. Like you say, there are still issues. Even I have some with this film, but mm. it's it's one of those things where I feel like it, it kind of died to the weight of the expectation of having the two best martial arts stars at that point. I'm talking about fame before anyone starts arguing with me. Um <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, it's you know having them both in the same film as the leads not just in it for 10 seconds like uh, a certain other film with donnie yen but um it's one of the i don't know it's just it's just a bit weird but anyway so like like we said uh they're both playing dual roles jet lee plays the monkey king as well as a silent monk and jackie chan plays old hop and lu yan maybe but we'll get to that at the end and uh Michael Angarano is Jason, and he is your typical white kid who is obsessed with uh, kung fu movies to the nth degree. I remember seeing his bedroom for the first time, like at the very start of the film, absolutely plastered in Bruce Lee stuff, in Shaw Brothers stuff, and then you get that amazing credit sequence where you get all these posters of films from the 70s, the 80s, and they sort of animate them, and they have that stereotypical uh music 
I'll go with music. And, yes. uh, and <laughs> it, it, it's just, it was just, you know, the whole film feels like a love letter to the, like you said, that all the films of the years gone by, but the fact that they turn it into a fantasy where Jason ends up waking up in a mythological version of China because they never actually specifically say he's in the past. They say, you know, you've entered from another world. Now, this kind of gets mm. murky at the end, but like I said, we'll get to that. And because uh, what makes me chuckle is when you're watching this film and you already know the ending and what's going to happen, when you rewatch the beginning and you rewatch the film in general, there are so many lines of dialogue that kind of hint at certain things that it just makes me chuckle. And one of the first things that I always sort of smile at is when Jason is going into the old man's shop it shows you the shop in in view so you can see the the sign and it's lu yan's such and such and such and such and of course at that point that doesn't mean anything to you and and then you know you go and meet young jackie chan lu yan <laughs> and it's it's little things like that same with uh when they first meet jet lee's character and they ask him you know what? Why are you uh, searching for the 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 seeker of the staff? And he's like, I've been doing it for as long as I can remember. It's a perfectly good answer, but there's a little bit of a twist waiting in that answer too. <laughs> there is, because uh, I kept wondering what they were going to do. At the we'll get to the end, but I was sort of I'm like, oh, that makes sense. Um, no, there is all these little things. I mean, yes, they do kind of drop a certain thing, which is just really a dumb nitpick. Because I love the whole thing of uh, Jason just wakes up. He's in this beautiful, grush, lush, green farming thing. And he, of course, he can't speak Mandarin. So he's trying to talk to people. They're talking to him back. And it's just like when you're, you just don't know how to communicate. And then all of a sudden, Jackie Chan sort of says, you're, when he's trying to talk to him, and he goes, because you're not listening. And then he's suddenly, everyone's mostly speaking English. So you're assuming it's done like a hunt for Red October. They can all sort of understand each other, except when they need to have an aside between, say, when Jason's not involved and then suddenly speak Chinese again or Mandarin. So I'm just like, going, okay, so are they speaking then? What's happening? <laughs> or is it just a spell that Jackie did? I'm not 100% sure. <laughs> As I said, dumb nitpick. No, no, I, I agree. That is that is genuinely one I have as well, is I always assume, like you say, that Jason can just understand them because the power of the staff is allowing him to communicate mm. once he's been there for a bit. But then, like you say, there are other points where they go back to, to speaking uh, Mandarin and you're sort of going, well, does that mean then that actually uh, Jackie and Jet's characters can just speak English, but mm. everybody else around them just has no clue what they're saying until they speak Mandarin. But then it, when the witch turns up, she also can speak English, as can all of their guards. And you're sort of going, but they were speaking Mandarin when they were in the Chinese shop. So now I'm really confused. <laughs> yes. I know. It was just like one of those things that just wasn't explained. And I know most of this cast, English wasn't their first language. So I know that all the scripts had to be kind of fitted to what they could speak and how they spoke and everything like that. But it was just like a, hang on a minute. <laughs> what's going on it's like an episode of star trek when everyone's just talking to each other and everyone understands each other i'm like yeah but oh, all the galaxies can suddenly speak english i'm like going hmm okay <laughs> the magic of the universal translator Lindsay. the magic exactly. of the universal translator very true very true 
what uh, just ju- uh, this is off topic but one of my favorite episodes of uh star trek deep space nine is when the ferengi crash on earth in the past but their universal translators break and they're just saying absolute gibberish and no human can understand them and uh, they they study them and the, and the humans are like these are clearly very like intelligent uh beings but we can't understand them and they come up with all of these different interpretations of what their their physical body language means and what it is they're trying to say and yeah. how they act and then when they eventually fix the translator because apparently they're like chips in their head that's how it works yeah. apparently and then oh. they finally talk to them in english and they're like oh literally everything that we assumed about you was wrong you're just assholes <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing <laughs> And I just, uh, yeah, it just, I, I love, like you say, whenever any film, sci-fi, fiction, fa- high fantasy, it doesn't matter, like, everybody speaks English. That is the universal language, apparently. Yes, like in Stargate, um, everyone can speak English because they're all descendants of human. Uh, but not not seeing the fact that Earth has thousands of different languages to choose from, but no, it was all English all along. <laughs> Yep. Even when these were developed before the English language was, you know, kind of even started. I always, that was my favorite thing about um, Steve, uh, uh, the wormhole one. <laughs> well, it's kind of like, it's kind of like in Torchwood when, uh, in the Children of the Earth show, when all the kids start speaking in unison across the planet in English, and one of them says, could this be an alien outside influence that scanned the planet and has just picked the, the language that is most commonly spoken? And Captain Jack turns around and says, well, if they did that, they'd all be speaking Mandarin. Yes. <laughs> so, uh, no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I do like how science fiction writers now kind of play with that idea because it's just like, yeah, we know this conceit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, as Lindsay said, we get introduced to Jackie Chan playing the drunken master. He gets a nice little kick-ass sequence. And I got to say, I've seen this film several times, and every time Jason stumbles out of that hut and you see those massive rice fields, it never fails to oh. impress me. It, it it always makes me go, I wish I could visit there. And, it, and it, you know, just for a few seconds, and then I remember the reality of what visiting there would be like, and I'm like, oh, I'm quite happy seeing it on film. <laughs> it, yeah, this is when you know that the guy directed Lion King, or helped direct Lion King, I should say, he wasn't the main guy. Um, did that because landscape is so important to this movie everything looks so lush and so beautiful that even the desert sequences i'm like oh that looks cool <laughs> I, I i love again we're jumping around all over the place guys but it's this is quite an old movie so hopefully you've seen it yeah but um i absolutely adored jet lee at that moment when jason's like this desert is hot and then he's <laughs> like this isn't the desert that is the desert. <laughs> the <counter. laughs> <Yeah>. Oh shit! <laughs> yeah, I I do like how Jet Li is kind of a shit in this movie because the movies I've seen him in, he's always very stoic and very very serious. Like Jet Li has the best badass face, I think, of a lot of the actors working in in, in that scene. Like, um, I don't know what it is, but he has this intensity, especially when you first meet him as the silent monk. And he's just got this look in his face. I'm like, oh, he might actually kick Jackie Chan's ass in this um, just by a look. And he's so to see him kind of being kind of fun and 
funny and cheeky and at peeing on Jackie Chan at one point as a joke, um, I think is, um, it was good to see. It, it looked like he was having fun is what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. No, a hundred percent. I mean, you're, you're right. Jet Li does have so many roles where he is deadly serious. And I think that part of that is stemming from the fact that he was made famous by playing like a Shaolin monk. And, you know, he comes from a very prodigious family of martial arts masters. He's always been the serious guy. But he also, it's it's so funny because I've always said this, like, I don't know if you've seen this film either, but have you seen Jet Li's The One? Oh, yes. Yes, I have. <laughs> so a lot, I think Jet Li is possibly one of the only people that can do that and be convincing because he genuinely has two distinct different personalities in his film. He either will spend most of the film looking like he could kill anybody that steps up to him without breaking into a sweat, or he has the most adorable, innocent face of anyone that I've ever seen, and yet he can swap between them at the dime of a hat, and in the one, he's playing both of them at the same time. It's it's amazing. I love it. Yeah. And yeah, no, it's it's fantastic. And you're also forgetting blonde Jet Li. That photo, the photo of him <laughs> with the blonde wig is still my favorite thing Jet Li's ever done. I, he looks so, I'm like, that is not right. Why did you put him in a blonde wig for? That was just, I don't know. That was just a small, tiny detail from the one, apart from Jason Statham with hair and trying to do an American accent. I'm just like, mm, no, it doesn't look right. <laughs> yes. But um, yeah, like you say, in this film, he gets to sort of, be a lot more expressive i think than well i would say than than american audiences were used to but to be honest he i think he had a bit more of a range in his english speaking films anyway because the one unleashed uh not so much lethal weapon but like the one and unleashed especially he got to do a lot of acting and i think it sort of made a lot of people that were paying attention anyway sort of go oh he's actually a pretty good actor underneath all that kick-ass martial arts skill yeah, I think he is. Um, I think I don't always give him the credit either because I keep thinking that, say, something like Chow Yun Fat and Tony Leung are probably the 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 actors of that scene, and then you have the other side when you have more the martial arts guys. But then you watch when Jackie Chan can get serious, and he's very very good at it. And then you're watching this movie, and you're right, the one he's having a lot of fun in the one as well. He knows what that movie is, and. It is it, it, because he can, and he's actually such. A, he's a quite a smart ass in um, the Expendables, isn't he? He's like, I, yes, I'm trying to remember the yes because he's always constantly giving Dolph Lundgren like grief, and I'm like, no, 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 in a fight, I'm going to go gently. <laughs> Dolph Lundgren any day, even though that fight in the first one is, I have issues with that fight. Um, <laughs> um, them. just Stallone, stop doing close ups, please. Um, but it is. Yeah, so it's kind of really cool to see him because I think, yeah, he does have a range of people, but I think people kind of put him in that hardcore martial arts kind of thing, like the Donnie Yen, even though if you watch any Donnie Yen movie, you know the range that he has. But I think a lot of people who kind of think of one or two movies think of he's one thing, and that's not fair on any of them. But that happens to all actors, like – um the fact that even Stallone was eight people realized he was a comic actor was kind of surprising considering the first little bit of his career was the Terminator. It was Conan. It was these very serious big guy actors. And then of course he does. I, I, uh, just, just, sorry, just yeah. so that a thousand people don't yell at you. That was Schwarzenegger, not Stallone. Oh, shit. 
Jude. <laughs> I have a head. I have a head cold. I meant Schwarzenegger. <laughs> as soon as uh, you said Terminator, I was like, "No, Leslie, abort, abort!" <laughs> oh, this is when you know I've got a head cold. I did this with something else, and Rob was like, "I have to stop you. You're going to get yelled." <laughs> Rob Antiquera. I'm like, "Yes, yes, you're right. Yeah. I will be." Ah, <laughs> uh, but yes. Mm. But no, I, I agree. Um, I have long since been a fan of Jackie Chan's acting. I I used to routinely get annoyed when people used to say he can't really act. He can just he's just a good stuntman. And I'm like, that's that's such a derogatory backhanded compliment of like, oh yes, he can flip well, but otherwise, why why would we watch him? And it's like he can do a lot more than just backflips, you know? It's like Watch any of his films where he's not speaking English and his acting is pretty good. And this is something that annoys me because you, you mentioned it as well with Schwarzenegger. It's like, I remember when Escape Plan came out, which is uh, Stallone and Schwarzenegger, and the film itself isn't what I want to talk about. So yeah, whatever you think of that is irrelevant. But there is a, there's a point in that film where Schwarzenegger speaks Austrian because his character is getting tortured, essentially. And he reverts back to his native language. And I remember everyone was like, oh my God, he can act. And it's like, yeah, it's amazing how much easier it is to act, folks, when you're not speaking the language that isn't your own. It's like you learn another language and then go and act in it, you know? <laughs> it's really, really hard. And I mean, my favorite story of Schwarzenegger is, uh, did I just said Schwarzenegger, making sure I said that right. Um, when he, when Terminator came out, he offered to do the German dub. And because he's Austrian and to a lot of Germans, that kind of sounds like country, a country accent. They went, no, you're Vietnamese. That, that's, that's a, that's a country accent. You can't do the Terminator. Yeah. Um, but no, it's really, really hard. And I, even though I think sort of they just missed Jackie Chan by being good at flips. He's got this amazing physical quality where he can do the acting with the physical. I mean, it's when everyone says Keanu Reeves can't act, but he's good at throwing a punch. Those are similar things. It's not like you just throw a punch. You're at, you're acting while also throwing the punch. Like that amazing scene, I think it's the first police story, where Jackie Chan's answering about seven phones and he's doing this amazing, like, stretching and answering and putting it down. It's this, this amazing kind of yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, physical comedy bit. And that actually takes, that is also acting. I mean, he learned that from Charlie Chaplin and Buster Keating, but they were doing the exact same thing. So even if you say, oh, he's good at that. Well, yeah, that is acting. It's it's very different from just throwing a punch or doing a kick or doing the acrobats. You're also still in the character that's doing it. Um, so it's, yeah, he's a, he is a very good actor. Yeah. And, you know, I've said this to, uh, I think I've said this on the show before, but I've definitely said this to people before, which is, you know, you've got films like the Shinjuku incident. You've got films such as the remake of The Karate Kid. Uh, in, in all honesty, there are scenes in this where Jackie Chan gets to do some pretty decent acting. And I mean, you know, every scene he's in where he's playing the old guy is act pretty well acted, in my opinion. Like you say, it's a little bit uh, OTT in places, but. I think it works for this film, and I think because people have one particular image in their minds of what a Jackie Chan film looks like, and let's be honest, most people, it's Rush Hour, 
you know uh, yeah. i'm talking about mainstream audiences you know action people you know drunken master legend of drunken master police story yes all, all good answers but for most people they're just gonna go oh yeah he did rush hour yeah he did other stuff did he yeah you no know? uh rush rush hour was where i first came across jackie chan and lethal weapon 4 was when i first came across jet lee um who oh god it doesn't danny glover beat him in a fight i can't even at the time i was didn't know who he was i'm like that doesn't feel right. Yeah, uh, um, the, the, the fight, he's the final fight of Lethal Weapon 4 and, and Mel Gibson and Danny Glover sort of beat him. I mean, I know a lot of people malign that fight, but it's not like they just beat him up. It's just like they survive and then manage to knock him into the sea. So I, okay. I, don't, I don't have as much problems with that as a lot of other people do, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, I haven't, to be fair, I haven't seen it in since it came out, but that is one thing I remember people saying about it. But yeah, those was, uh, those are my first introductions into both those actors. And it took me a while to go, Oh, they have this whole other, uh, career and things like that. And it was when I finally saw, went and saw, um, Corruption Tiger, which they weren't in, but then I saw this kind of tradition of what, um, uh, you know the 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 Wushan, um kind of wire kind of movies, and I went, oh, is that what? Oh, this is cool. Okay, and then I went back and started discovering kind of more of them, and then started getting. Um, finally saw the um the Hammer movie, the Seven uh, Golden Vampire Legend of Seven Golden Vampires, which is an awesome movie, by the way. I went, holy shit, this is amazing. So yeah, it's just sort of a process of people who sort of watch something that's okay because this is in front of my face but it's whether that you go back or you find something else and then you start going back so i know a lot of people got their first taste of sort of exploitation and an asian action movie say from kill bill so they went back and started finding all the movies that he's referencing it's just the it's the kind of the differences people who accept the movie that they're watching like rush hour or the people like hang on a minute he was in other movies. Can I go back and find what else he did? And then you watch Drunken Master for the first time and you're like, holy shit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, 100%. And for me, like I was, I'm trying to remember, I don't actually have a clue what my first Jackie Chan film would have been because as I've said on this show before, my granddad introduced me to many, many Kung Fu films when I was younger and and all through my life. But he had all the old stuff on VHS, uh, either recorded off the television or bought, but a lot of them weren't available to buy, so it was the television or nothing. My brain is saying it was probably something like Rumble in the Bronx, or uh, I know those sorts of 90s films were definitely there, but I also know that it probably would have been a dubbed like 1980s film where I first saw him. I know he had like Hand of Death and uh, Dragon Lord. Uh, but I know exactly what the first Jet Li film I watched was because I watched it to death, and and I can I can I can't watch it in uh, in Chinese even though I have. But the dub is so ingrained in my brain it, it sort of messes me up. But it's um the Bruce Lee remake of Fist of Fury, which was Fist of Legend, and Fist of Legend might be one of my favorite Jet Li films ever. And it was like the first one I watched, and I'm like, damn, this guy can kick ass. And at that point, I didn't even, I hadn't even seen Bruce Lee's Fist of Fury. So for me, that was the first one. And then after that, it was like, I, I consumed so many Jet Li films before I'd even realized, oh, he has films where he's actually speaking English. <laughs> I don't do you think, think yeah, do you think for, yeah, sorry, I was just asking, interested, do you think for a teenage boy that Jet Li was more accessible because he is such the badass 
um, than say what Jackie Chan is known for, who's more known for his, just you're just watching and going, okay, one how don't you die? But he's more comedic. Um, but you're watching and going, this is incredible. But do you think because Jet Li has that face of just steely, I am going to destroy you? <laughs> do you think that is easier for say like a teenage to go, oh, you are cool because it's got that Bruce Lee element almost? I I I think yes. Um, but I also think that from my own memories and experiences, it's like at the time I was lucky because they were both putting out films. And I think that the fact that you had both, you had Jet Li constantly being the epitome of cool, even if not all of those films worked. And then, you know, you'd have uh, a Jet Li doing like a cradle to the grave or Romeo must die. And and then on the flip side, you've got Jackie Chan doing Shanghai Noon and Shanghai Nights, and or something like the Tuxedo, mm. which is also stupid in my brain. But I think that the fact that you have both meant that there was always something for everyone. Like I distinctly remember arguing with one of my friends when this film came out because the fact that both Jet Li and Jackie Chan were in the same film, and everyone knew that meant they were going to fight each other at some point. Everyone was arguing about who was better and it's just like they make completely different films you know <laughs> exactly that's kind of what we're just sort of wondering because um the 90s was the time when the hollywood or the america tried to bring these guys over i mean they brought john woo over they brought chow lung done fat over um jet lee and of course um jackie chan to try and kind of see if they could recreate um, what they were doing in uh, over in Hong Kong into what they were doing in the States. And because it's the States and so they have to meddle with everything and they don't trust audiences can just accept whatever. They have to muddle with a few things. Um, I think of some really, I think some really fun movies came out of that period. But yeah, they made such different movies that the fact that you're choosing between who's the better fighter, I'm like, um, yeah, they're both kind of really great. I would love to see them. I, and I love that scene. I think it's the best scene in the movie. But yeah, they make complete, they have, probably grew up with completely different styles um, of of training. They make completely different movies. They have completely different brands. Um, and you can just have both. The fact that you have both is amazing. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. I mean, uh, like I said to my friend all those years ago, and I still think this now, neither one of them were ever full contact competitive fighters they will both happily admit that they are not walking around thinking that they're the toughest guy in you know, on the street in terms of pure martial arts skill there's no denying that jet lee is better because he's got the championships and the trophies to prove it you know but <laughs> in terms of uh who do i think was slightly tougher and who do i think was uh able to take a hit and keep on kicking well probably the guy that's nearly died on several occasions making his films and grew up in the opera house you know it's like realistically mm -hmm. the answers to these questions like you just said are in how they were trained and how they were brought up and how they live their life you know it's like um even though he's not in this film Sammo hung's scar on his lip is not from a film that went wrong it's from a bar fight and it's like that's that that side of life whereas the other guy grew up in an academy nice and safe away from outside interference so that he could do nothing else but do wushu it's like they had very different upbringings so comparing them in my opinion is kind of pointless exactly but yeah i love even in this movie i mean my favorite moment of jackie chan which isn't fair because he does look like he actually is hurt is in the foreigner um and he takes a fall which he should stop doing because he was 60 i think he was 
68 when he made it. I don't know, he was way too old to be falling down off a roof. But he sort of falls and the camera's on his face and you can kind of see his face go, oh, shit, that hurt. <laughs> and you can kind of see in a few points in this movie where he's like, oh, God, that hurt. And I'm like, stop doing that to yourself. It's okay. <laughs> Do you know what's funny about The Foreigner? And I'm sorry, guys, we really are just going off on a Jackie Chan Jet Li rant here. But um, there's behind the scenes uh, footage and and like uh, there was a feature out. I, I don't remember if it's on YouTube or on Netflix, or but it's somewhere out there. And uh, basically, there's a scene uh, like Jackie does that stuff, and like you just you just kind of hit the nail on the head where you're like you can see that he's actually hurt, but nine times out of ten he really wasn't. And the mm. amount of times Martin Campbell had to sort of say to him, Jackie, yes, Martin, and he and he's like, remember you're playing an old man that can't really do this stuff. And he's like, but I am an old man. And he's like, yes, I know you are, Jackie, but most old men can't do this stuff. <laughs> and he's like, could you like act like you're struggling a little bit? And he's like, oh, okay. And then he's like, whenever people say you can see he's struggling, I'm like, no, my friend, that's called acting. <laughs> no, it, no, it was it was a very good look. It was look. It wasn't a look he's struggling. It was just a look of surprise of like, oh shit, that hurt. But yeah, yeah, right, yeah, that, yeah. Is, that is just acting. That is um, just a look of like, oh, I need to act surprised because I've just fallen over so much in my career. I, even though I'm an old man, it doesn't um, it doesn't phase me like it would an, an old man. But they're like, going, just re remember, not many people can do this. Exactly, it's the same as like when he was uh, when he would finish a fight scene, and like in that film in particular, he's always like out of breath. Which is more realistic, but he mm. he would keep forgetting to do that because he's like, I'm not out of breath, so it doesn't come naturally to me to be like, <laughs> you know. <laughs> oh, they made a point of having beads of sweat on Jet Li's face during the we'll get to it, but the, the fight. I'm like going, I don't believe you broke a sweat doing that. Hmm. We will definitely get to that, and we will move mm. on so that we can actually talk about that because we keep yes. mentioning it. But before we do, there is someone else that gets introduced because. There's a whole sequence we kind of skipped over, which is that they give us this big chunk of exposition when they go and they have a drink and they explain what happened between the Monkey King and the Jade Warlord and they introduce the Five Elements Mountains, the a lot of mythology, like I said, getting condensed and flattened uh, for ease of understanding. Uh, but then we get a duel between the Warlord and the Monkey King. And although, like you said, the probably the best fight in the film is between Jackie Chan and Jet Li. I gotta say, I love the fight between the Monkey King and the Warlord. I think it's actually... This is awesome, yeah. It's really good, but also, and again, this was another complaint that a lot of people had, considering this is a 2008 film, can you explain to me why the effects have aged better than stuff from, like, three years ago? Because um, don't get me wrong, yeah. there, there are some ropey effects, but again, it's like a 15-plus-year-old movie, but some of them still hold up, and I'm going, how? <laughs> um, I'm not 100% sure. The only time I started noticing the ropey effects was in the final act. That's when I kind of went, oh, okay, this is when, because that's when it's more the special effect extravaganza. I think I would say that the special effects, even though they are very much needed because you are dealing with flying characters who are doing magic, it's more the action still takes front and center. It's mm. kind of like the Matrix, um, where it's the choreography and the kind of the stunts, even though they're on wires and you can kind of tell the movement, all that kind of thing. 
but they're on wires, they're doing wire work. It's really cool. And then the effects kind of almost take a second, a little bit behind the actual action, even with something like bullet time. It's the fact, the way Neo's moving more than the, then you notice the, hang on a minute, that they never did that before kind of thing. But this is your most noticing the choreography. You're looking at the the people on screen more than you are the actual special effects. But say three years ago, with some very recent Marvel movies, the effects are front and center and all you can do is, oh, this looks like shit. <laughs> That's my point of view on it anyway. Yes, that, that was a very well-structured answer. Um, very diplomatic. I like it. <laughs> if you haven't noticed, I'm not the biggest fan of face. <laughs> I don't think you're alone. Um, anyway, yeah. uh, funnily enough, you mentioned The Matrix. The Jade Warlord is played by Colin Chow. I wanted to say yeah. Cho, but no, I think it is Chow. I could be butchering that. For, I'll, most of these names I'd butcher for days. So oh, don't worry. I, the, the the next person I'm I'm dreading saying, but Colin was also in the Matrix. He was in both of the Matrix sequels. He was the master that dressed in white that uh, Neo fought. Oh, that's why he looks so familiar. I should have checked up his IMDb because I'm like going, you look very familiar. Yeah, because of that. <laughs> I mean, he's he's don't get me wrong. He's done other stuff as well, but. I just found it funny because of how much we've mentioned The Matrix and obviously Young Wu Ping worked on both. I do find it funny how so many people in this film have a connection to Young Wu Ping and that makes me think, you know, how much was he involved in like casting because he's like, oh, I know this person can do good fights. You know, oh, this person can keep up with Jackie Chan. This person can keep up with Jet Li, you know? I think that the Wachowskis were probably smart enough just to listen to him. They were like, oh, if you know a person that can keep up with these guys or do this, and if on set, if everyone else was going, well, you know who can keep up with, with Jackie Chan and Jet Li, because they are still quick. I'm not entirely sure how much speed ramping was used, but they are fucking quick in this movie. So, yeah, you See, need people who can actually be up to their standards. So, yeah. I'm, I'm kind of loath to, to say this story, because I know somebody out it's there is going It's speed ramping, gonna... isn't it? <laughs> no, 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 I don't know. I genuinely don't yeah. know if it's, if it's speed ramped or not. I don't think it is. I don't think there's any... Hmm any trickery because usually you can if you if you really look you can tell mm. um but there's no there's a there's a story and what i i'm gonna say this and then i just know someone's gonna send me a dm or a tweet and be like oh, i hate to break it to you dude but uh it's not true and that's gonna annoy me but when jackie and jet lee came to film their fight the the bit of choreography where they're actually fighting and it's unbroken there's no effects there's no wire work they watched the, the, the stunt guys who obviously were help, uh, helping choreograph it and practicing it. Apparently, Jet Li showed up, watched him do it once with no practice, and then went, yeah, I can do that. And then Jackie, who also hadn't practiced it, was like, oh, you just want to do it? Like, no rehearsal. And Jet Li was sort of smirking at him like, yeah. And Jackie went, okay. And then apparently they just did it. And they did it so fast that Yun and uh, the director were like, yeah, that was great, but now can you slow it down so that our cameras can actually pick it up? <laughs> because well, I have, yeah, I have uh, read in a couple of places that Jackie said it was fighting with Jet Li was actually one of the easiest things he's ever done because they those two could just mesh together really easily. So it did kind of sound kind of kismet when he was talking about it. Yes. Yes. Uh, there's, there's, Quite a few people I remember at the time were saying, you know, Jackie's like 10 years older than Jet, but you couldn't tell because it was sort of like 
And I and I agree. Bear in mind, I think this was around the point where Jackie was starting to his star was starting to fade. I think is the nice way of putting it. But this film, it I think working with Jet just sort of woke him up, like the young man that was still inside of him. That's like, mm. no, I ain't gonna be upstage by you, Jet. Like I can still move if I need to, you know. Yeah, which wouldn't surprise me because there is a fluidity to the way he's moving and that could just be the choreography. But yeah, I mean, they are so quick and there's a lot of kind of arm in arm movements of pulling and doing th- and the fact that they're doing it, that both of them make them look so easy, which is because they are both really good at what they do and they know how to do it without hurting themselves or the other person. But yeah, there's... um so many times where they're just kind of locked in each other's kind of grips and then they'll yeah it's 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 yeah it's fantastic (laughs) there is another scene i want to talk about but i'm gonna choose to just keep talking about this fight so that we can get it out of our system and then i'll rewind a bit guys it's an um, awesome fight (laughs) i also i also love the fact that it takes 37 minutes to actually get jet lee's proper introduction not in monkey king makeup it does and (laughs) uh i i love this this fight and you know we basically get to see the drunken master persona versus the shaolin monk persona but again if you really know these actors histories with martial arts films they put so much of their past into this fight into the choreography into the story and i love it because you know even people that don't understand the importance of like Jackie Chan striking the drunken pose in that mm. fight sequence. The way the music builds up, the way the camera swoops down to make him look all that more imposing. People that don't have a clue that I've seen this with love that moment and they're like, oh, this is going to get good. And I'm like, yes, it is. And then as it goes on, they start changing their styles and they start bringing out different animal uh, mm. techniques. And I absolutely love it. From a point of view of it, pay you know it does so many references to other films that they've done individually, but also just it shows you that both characters are equal but different. But also, even though they're fighting each other, it begrudgingly builds a respect between them that will be important for the rest of the film because everybody else that they've ever fought has probably just folded in two, and now they finally met someone that they can't just easily just brush aside. It's great. Exactly. I mean, this whole movie is a love letter to uh, China, uh, to Kung Fu movies. That's kind of, the, I mean, you've mentioned the opening credits and it's kind of this history of um, martial arts movies from the Shaw Brothers and then moving into Bruce Lee and then it kind of ends um, when you get into the era that will be the Jackie Chan and then the Jet, Jet Lee. So it is very aware of, it's not being self-aware, but it is just very knowing of this is it because it's like Lark's last action hero. This is a kid who loves um, old classic Kung Fu movies and he's constantly buying Shaw Brothers movies. He loves them. I think he's watching something on TV. His wall is plastered in old Kung Fu movies. And so when you get the moment when he's doing the drunken master, it's so cool because it's kind of paying homage to like, we, we know these movies. We love these movies. These movies are really good. So we want to pay them respect. And the fact we have two of the stars of these movies we're going to show you what they're known for and then we can show we can go through their kind of film history through this fight which i think is so beautiful because you're right they're going through different animals and it's paying not respect to their own movies 
but to all these sort of kung fu movies and the fact that they keep switching styles and then the the fight kind of evolves as it goes along it's it's such a beautifully put together um piece and and the thing is as well is i think the way it's edited the way it was shot the way the sound effects come together mm. with what they're doing everything just works for me and even like what we were saying about Jackie being the older of the two of them, I love the fact that the fight is staged in such a way that he has an uphill battle, whereas Jet is just good from the word go. And for Jackie's character, he's basically working his way up to, oh, I've actually got a try against this guy. And then at the end, when he finally starts doing his tiger strikes complete with roars every time he tries to throw it, Jet's mm. on the back foot throughout that entire sequence. and. You can tell, like you just said, like they're moving stupidly quick and it just genuinely does look like two supernatural beings going at it, even though they're not. And I just, I personally don't understand how people could be disappointed in that fight. I understand to a degree and, it, and I think when you watch it for the first time and they're fighting over the staff, A, it can feel shorter than it actually is because of how quick they're going, but B, yeah. I think there's a lot of wire work in this sequence when they're going after the staff. And I think people were like, stop fighting over the staff and just fight each other. <laughs> well, yes, I can see why, because I think when you have two kind of characters like this, it happens in a lot of movies where there's two people you want to see fight. You just want to see them straight fight. But there's a also the fact that there's a story sort of happening. They both want the staff. They don't know that they can work together at this point, but they need, they both want it. And I really loved the mixture of the wire work and the non-wire work. I thought it was blended really, really nicely because this you, the movie keeps reminding you that these are supernatural beings. Uh, Jackie Chan's character is a one of the 12 or how many immortals, and you don't quite know what Jet Li's backstory is as the monk, but you've got the idea that he is also very, very supernatural. It's because they can do these uh, amazing things. So I think it's uh, Lu Yefei, Yefei? Who is... <laughs> I butchered that, didn't I? <laughs> no, it's just um, I don't have to try and say it now. Thank you. <laughs> I did it so you don't have to. Um, when you're looking at her character, she's much more grounded. She's not as mystical. She's not as magical. She's um, someone who's also inserted herself into the story because she wants revenge. Um, I was honestly expecting Colin uh, Chow to say, for me, it was a Tuesday at one point, because she goes, I am the youngest daughter of the family that you once killed. And there's this look in his face. And I'm like, go on, say it. Just just say it. Yeah. For me, it was a Tuesday. Um, I don't but... even know who you are. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know who you are. What? Um, but I do kind of, but you can tell that she doesn't do as much wire work because she's not a magical being. The other witchy lady who I didn't write her name down. I love her so much. With her, with her magic witchy hair. She um, is uh, Lee Bing Bing. She's very famous. Like, she is... I don't understand why she isn't, like, talked about in the same light as the other guys, because I think to a degree it's because maybe she wasn't as well-known in the West, but the fact they got her was kind of impressive, I'm not going to lie. Ah, okay. Um, so she's... And she's very magical. So she, there's a lot of wire work and a lot of special effects around her. But so the movie is very, very aware of who's magical, who's not. Um, even though Michael Agano as Jason will learn how to do Kung Fu way too quickly. As soon as he starts doing the whole whippy thing, I'm like, you did not learn how to do that. I'm sorry. <laughs> you are useless. Um, now you're this good. Even though he's not good enough to fight anyone yet, which I do like the acknowledgement of like, okay, child, you're, you're not a good, as good as these guys. 
Um, but yeah, so the movie's so when there is wire work, it's because these guys are eternal. They're magical. They can do things that, that other people can't. Um, we just we just want them to have an all-in-out brawl, but that's not what the characters are. So why would they just do that? That was the point I was getting to, and then I got distracted. Yes, no, that's that's pretty much what I wanted to say as well, is that as I've gotten older and as I've I've sort of rewatched films that maybe I wasn't not necessarily like uh loved, but when I've rewatched films just in general, I kind of come away with from a different point of view, and that is that every single person that makes films will always say the same thing, which is that everything has to make sense to serve the story, or at least people that are good at it say that. And uh I think so many people just want to see what they want to see and don't think, well, does that make sense for this film? Like, ignore the fact that it's Jet Li and Jackie Chan. Does it make sense for this drunken traveler and this monk to just wail on each other? No, it doesn't. And like you just said, you know, allegedly he's playing one of the immortals, but question mark. And we don't know what we don't know what the monk's backstory is because this is literally his first you know introduction into the film Mm. and uh i love the fact that he is mostly silent up until he isn't and then they like you say they have that discussion in chinese about the fact that this guy's supposed to be the chosen one essentially he's not even chinese it's like we're Mm. all doomed i love that so much and then they just start laughing because it's like (laughs) we're all dead (laughs) we're all dead (laughs) yeah no that is pretty much it it is i do like the fact that they keep pointing out that jason's just does not fit because he doesn't um he is one again he's not even asian he doesn't i mean the amount of times that uh jackie jan calls him useless because he doesn't know kung fu because he just he's just watched kung fu he's never actually gone and done it but i do like his arc the whole thing is um which is very wizard of oz that he goes through this adventure so he can come back and now he knows kung fu um so he can beat up the bully because yes. I think we even haven't mentioned that the whole thing he's in this mess in the first place is that this gang of selfie lads um, pretty much coerce him to go into the uh, Jackie Chan's pawn shop to rob him. And through that, bad things happen. It was I was actually surprised how dark that went very quickly. I was like, oh, I was not expecting that. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, they, so, so they shoot Jackie Chan's character and then they almost shoot Jason, but the staff, knocks him off of the top of the building that he's run onto and he falls off and then that's when he wakes up and suddenly he's in China. Yes. Uh, so I do like the fact that they're just looking at him going, what are you? Um, and even when he n- learns a lot of skills, he's still not as good because I like when he goes up against, uh, ba- is it Bebe? Bebe? Um, witchy lady. Um, Lee Bingbing. Lee Bingbing. And she is, she kicks his ass. Like, I should probably yeah. say, I'm not convinced I'm pronouncing that right, but that is what I'm sticking with. So if I'm getting that wrong, I apologize. Same with any of the other names in this. I do try to look up how to pronounce them, but sometimes even then it's still wrong. So <laughs> I will butcher all names. I, I am, I am a equal opportunity, but, but yeah, I think she was amazing. She's got this amazing look about her and, and, um, yeah, I do like the fact that she does kick his ass because he's not even the movie acknowledges you were never going to be as good as these guys. You just because you haven't had the thousands of years to actually be as good. Yeah, and I mean, 
I will re- I will rewind in a second, but just because, as you you said, you mentioned Lee Bimming's character, the witch, the fact that she has this long white hair was not an accident either. The Bride with White Hair is a very well known film. The folk tales from Chinese mythology of witch of the witches with white hair or the brides with white hair, all of that sort of stuff is pulled straight out of their mythology. And then you know, Colin Chow's Warlords briefly mentions that she was raised by wolves. And um, I love all of that. The fact that they they chose such an iconic look that was going to strike a chord with people that know it. Again, it's not, to my knowledge, like dead on, but it's got enough of the elements that you kind of expect from that, from someone that looks like that to be like, oh, yeah, this is the bad guy. And yes, she's going to have magic. It all makes sense, you know? Mm. Exactly. But to rewind, as you said earlier, Yifei Lu, and I know I'm pronouncing that wrong, but I'm, like I said, sorry about that. Uh, she plays Golden Sparrow, and she's introduced in the bar fight scene that we kind of skipped over because we wanted to talk about Jackie and Jep. And she's comes to their aid. She's actually in the bar when they're talking. She's playing music for everybody. And then she shows up to save Jason at the 11th hour by uh, killing some guys because she is a killer. Like every fight scene she has in this film, she does not mess around she just immediately goes for everybody's throats which i kind of like um mm. and it's you know it's a big part of her character and we get this great sequence where everybody's sort of fighting alongside each other and jackie's getting more and more irate at jason because he won't defend himself which mm. is also kind of jackie's fault because he makes the the incorrect assumption that because he doesn't say anything he must be a kung fu master it's like no, he's uh he's being silent because he's in shock. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, we get some great Jackie fights, and then she comes in and and helps them, and then they all run away on horseback, which again is just more comedy. But like you said, this leads to the great moment where Jackie's like, "He's got no kung fu, none," <laughs> and then that's that's how we end up in the scenario where he's going to teach him kung fu. And uh, this is something that I will say though, because I agree with you in that. He learns Kung Fu as fast as anybody in these sorts of films does. But the thing is, when he starts, for us, it's a scene change. For them, it's two days. And he's been like whacking these weeds. And he says, I've been your weed whacker for like two days mm. now. And then at the towards the end of the film, Sparrow has this interaction with him. And she says, when I met you long ago in that tea house. And it genuinely makes me wonder... How long was he there for? Like, how much time has actually passed? Because they never tell you. But I do sometimes think, has he actually been there for, like, weeks or months? Because in my head, it's like, oh, he's only been there for a little amount of time. But actually, they cross deserts. They cross, like, whole, what feels like a continent. They go through all these different locations. And they're they're walking. And it just sort of makes me go, is it actually, like, has he actually been there for a lot longer than you actually realize, you know? I think that's right, because I thought it was, I just assumed he was only there for a matter of weeks. So when he started doing the whole twirly thing with, with the shaft, I was like, hang on a minute. But if, yeah, but they do cover so much ground and they only will give you slight indications like, yeah, I've been with your weed whacker for two days or I met you when I met you long ago. And, but it never gives you a definitive time of how long this has been happening. Which kind of fits into the sort of the fantasy element of the movie because this is a timeless realm, but at the same time, 
Jason is a creature where time kind of exists for him in a different way. So I was all, I'm all, yeah, I think you're right. I think the, I think the movie takes place over a longer period of time than the movie actually indicates. Yeah. And uh, it also makes me, gives me uh, chuckles because Jason is so easy to hate. And I, I feel like they <laughs> maybe did a, They did too good of a job, which is partly why some people bounce off this film. But it's like when he, when they go to sleep that night, and he's like talking to Lou and he's saying, you know, oh, do you think you could teach me the no shadow kick or there's and he starts talking about Virtua Fighter 2, like someone from back, you know, the, the fantastical Chinese mythology times is going to understand what Virtua Fighter is, which even in the modern day, there were people going, what's Virtua Fighter? And it's like, it's a game <laughs> that was on a Sega Dreamcast or Saturn. It's like, yeah, so many people have heard of that. But anyway he gives this great lesson and he's like just pouring water into his cup and it's full and he keeps pouring and he's like exactly it's like you can't learn anything because you think you already know so much you need to forget all of that and i hate him with a burning passion because it's such a simple easy to understand lesson it's not like he's yoda at this point giving him cryptic answers and he still doesn't get it for like most of the film and i'm just like how dense are you i thought you watched kung fu films you know he is pretty dense. I mean, I understand the shock of the first moments when he realizes he's in, in this realm. And I'm just like, yeah, I'd be like in a ball, like not being able to do anything, just like terrified out of my mind. I mean, yeah, you want to go to that place, but then you realize the reality of it. And you're like, no, I would, I would do, I would die in two seconds. Like one of the Jade army would just kill me straight up. And well, I, I actually like the fact that they established that this isn't just like a, a fun romp through a fantasy realm because like Jackie's character is very very real with him from the word go when he when he kind of like has his meltdown and he sort of says to him flat out like hey there's no point getting irritable and if you like lose your temper you're screwed because if you die here you'll be found dead in the world you came from so it's up to you and I'm just like oh well that suddenly got real again <laughs> Yeah, exactly. But it just sometimes it just once because this movie is kind of established does last over a longer period of time. And it takes him so long to kind of learn everything. He's just so dense at times and just such a um, babe in the woods. I'm like, okay, there's got to be a certain point when you kind of and even at the end, when he decides to go to the, the, the thing, it's still the wrong decision. It's like that did not end up the way you wanted to. What do you think you were just gonna win a fight, get the serum and save Jackie Chan. No, it's, it's, um, it, yeah, he's still making bad choices for most of the movie. And it's kind of by accident that it all works out for him. All the fact that he's surrounded himself by Jackie Chan and Jet Li. But yeah, he's, he's a really, a, I can see why people bounce off him because he's just got this kind of wide eyed doofus looking for the whole movie. And I'm just like, ah, oh, okay. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I mean, I think as well, this is going to sound kind of mean, but I think he kind of represents a large portion of people that actually really dig the genre of these films. And I'm, but you know, especially Western audiences, it's like everybody wants to be the Kung Fu badass, but nobody actually wants to take the time to go and learn it. And I feel like him being exactly that kid that so many people probably were or still are, and then seeing the reality of like, you're useless and we think you're useless, 
that probably didn't help. You know, that is a thought I've had in the back of my mind where it's like, you know, someone basically holds up a mirror and says, look, mate, I know in your head you think you're you're all of this. But in reality, you're this skinny, useless kid that we have to keep saving. And that's pretty much most of the audience watching this, you know? Yeah, because I, when I was watching this, I was kind of thinking, okay, movies do two things. One, it is kind of a movie is a way to relate to another world. So if you can kind of find a character you relate to, which is why diversity in, in movies is so important because so it, it's not just say one group being able to relate to to a movie. Um, on the other hand, movies are as uh, Roger Ebert called them empathy machines. It's showing you a world that you don't necessarily understand and and kind of just learning about it. But for all the people who are identifying with Jason and having that mirror shown to them going, oh, yeah, you're never going to have your hero moment. You're still useless. Or you, your hero moment will come as a coda to the end of the movie. I think, yeah, that's why a lot of people kind of brussled up against it because they were like, well, I'm that guy and I don't like that guy. But that's me. Yeah, you're right. They're showing, they're showing, they are showing a mirror. Yeah. But it does, it, it does eventually lead back to after the fight and and the comedy returns when Jet Li's character basically decides that uh, he's not entirely impressed with the progress that Jason's made in Kung Fu, so he starts trying to teach him, and then Jackie's character gets pissed off at that, and then one of my... F I, I love the scene so much, it just makes me laugh every time, is when they're trying to teach him, in inverted commas, uh, Kung Fu, and decide what style is right for him, but basically they just beat him up. Yes. <laughs> and... Then uh, I love that sequence so much, and it's like you know Jet Li is literally strangling him, and then he just casually turns to Lou, and he's like, "I don't think Snake is right for him. How about Eagle?" And Jason's like, "I can't breathe." <laughs> that must have been such a surreal moment to shoot. You're being beaten up by Jet Li and Jackie Chan. Yeah, and then um, it, I remember because yeah. it, it it ends with the line of dialogue that was in every trailer for this film, which is that. Two tigers cannot roam on the same mountain. And I just thought, yeah, that's that's these two to a T. It's like they both know that realistically they're too big for one movie, but it's like we can kill each other when it's over. And I love that dialogue so much. Yeah, I do like the bit because he's got um, uh, Michael, old Jason, sort of squatting down very much drunken mastered or everyone being trained in a Shaw Brothers movie. They have to squat over something very uncomfortable and they can't move. And I'm just like going... Thighs of steel. Um, and then gently just comes along and kicks us like <laughs> It's like, oh my god, that's such a dick move. I love it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like you, you said, you know, gently is playing this super serious guy, but if you actually pay attention, he's not. He is constantly saying things and doing things that sort of like gets under their skin or says things that maybe puts people up the wrong way, or like in this instance where it's like. He's kind of, you could say he's a bit of a prankster or a bit of a kid, really. I wonder if that will come back later. <laughs> uh, I wonder because, okay, ignorant question. The Monkey King is kind of the Chinese version of the trickster, of like a Loki or um, yes. a, uh, yeah, okay, yes. Yeah. Very dumb question, but yes. So that is kind of, and as we'll get into, that is kind of where the monk comes from. So... <laughs> Yeah, he he is a trickster. Yeah, 100%. I mean, the like they say in the film, you know, he doesn't have any respect for the rules, the laws, and I love the fact 
it, it's it's one of those things that I didn't appreciate at the time, but now I do. In that, the warlord can't cope with the fact that the the monkey king won't respect his authority, partly because the monkey king knows full well he can kick his ass, but also it's like the emperor. His solution to the problem of, well, he's just an immature kid. Give him, and it's like give him a title, and that solves the problem because now it doesn't matter what he does because he's got a title. And I just love the fact that he solved the whole problem in one sentence, and yet the warlord couldn't let go of all of his shit for like five hundred yeah. years. And I'm like, exactly. That's <laughs> that all went over me when I first watched this, and now with you know being older and the world being the way it is it's sort of like yeah you kind of need a leader like that you know it'd be great if we had people like that <laughs> yes instead of just a series of con men that keep just kind of circling around um an actual leader would be great thank you very much yeah but uh real world shit aside so we then get a training montage and uh you know exactly as you'd expect Jet Li and jackie chan give us Kind of cliche martial arts for philosoph philosophies <laughs> philosophies. You should just call it philosophies. I like that. <laughs> yes, some of them I actually really like, and some of them would actually be, especially the stuff that Jackie says. He would basically say them all again when he did the remake of Karate Kid because he was talking about it doesn't matter what you actually do, like it's all kung fu. Like once you believe what you're doing once you have these lessons you can apply them to any field of life and he's like when a painter paints that's kung fu and i actually really like that particular philosophy there's a lot of taoism mm. laced into this film but i think that in any other film especially today i would be like we've seen this a hundred times but i want to see it again in this film because like you said it's a love letter to every classic kung fu film so you needed that you know and the fact that you're hearing Jet Li and Jackie Chan both give very different opinions, but they're both the same. And everything Jet Li was saying was basically, he was doing his Bruce Lee impression in that moment. You know, he was talking about flowing like water, find your own form. And it's like, learn it all and then forget it all. And it's like, oh, someone, someone read a Bruce Lee book before they made this. <laughs> it's like my partner constantly quotes, um, he used to say it to our cat a lot because you're trying to get cat, well, our cat to look at the other way, but always look at the fingers. Like, if you miss, what was it in from uh, Into the Dragon? If you look at the finger, you miss heavenly glory or something the other way around. I'm butchering it now. Yeah. yeah. I'm not, I'm not the best person to quote Bruce Lee stuff. Um, I, I didn't grow up a Bruce Lee kid. I have seen all of his films. I greatly enjoyed them, but I'm never going to be able to quote them to you. So I'll, I'll leave you to that one yourself. <laughs> People are yelling at me again. It's fine. <laughs> we also, because like you said, you know, it, it, the film does get very real at points. And we then, we, we see Sparrow's backstory of the fact that she cannot go home, uh, as Jet Li tells her to do, because she's mm -hmm. a child, because her home is gone. Because the warlord destroyed it because her dad had the audacity to tell him that he's uh, doing a crap job of running the place. And so he uh, uh, eviscerated the town he lived in and them. And I, I really like that sequence because, you know, she gets a bit of spotlight and time to herself. And I it, it sets up something that comes back uh, like a lot of the lines of dialogues do, which is that Jet Li's character is desperately trying to tell her not to go down this path of vengeance. And it's a, it's a thing we've heard and seen so many times 
but it works really well in this film because he says vengeance has a way of rebounding upon oneself. And uh, what happens at the end? Yeah, that line comes back quite literally rebounds upon her. I was going to say, it, it, it rebounds, except though I do like the fact that she goes, have a drink with me, which is a reference to a wonderful Shaw Brother movie from 1966, which has a female lead kicking all the ass. Um, and I quite like that. I think she has a similar weapon. I haven't seen that movie in quite a while, but um, I'm looking forward to it. Oh, and that line, it's like a finger pointing away to the moon. Do not concentrate on the finger or you will miss the heavenly glory. So that that is the line I was butchering before. <laughs> ah, fair enough. But no, it does. It really um, it does a literal kind of visual thing. I mean, he says it will bounce back on you. So when she actually goes for the kill blow of uh, Colin Chow, the the Jade Jade General, the whole thing literally rebounds on her, and she is, well, spoilers, killed. And then you have to get Michael um, or Jason to um, actually do the final kill blow when he's got the, and it's almost. Um, I like the fact that he he's more kind of the end product of a kick from I think Jet Li. Um, yes. So it's kind of it, I quite like that in a way. It feels more realistic to his character instead of him doing something kind of uh, kick ass. But yeah, it does. And the best revenge stories are the ones that don't go well for the person wanting revenge because revenge will always come back at you. It's it's a thing that's always almost like an empty gesture in a way. And I do like the fact that this movie does does that. Yeah. Yeah, and it's it's a shame too because as the film goes on, call it cliche if you'd like, but naturally she starts to develop feelings for Jason and he likes her pretty much from the word go. Um and you kind of get you the impression <laughs> Where did that come from? <laughs> I was watching it going, No, I don't buy. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Even at right at the end when you see the modern version of her, I'm like no. <laughs> Fair enough. It kind of it feels like she's her bit. She's like an older and more of a big sister. So I didn't quite buy it. <laughs> oh, that's fair. Um, mm. but yeah, but yeah, that that she kind of has that moment where you kind of feel like she's questioning whether or not the vengeance is worth it when there's a possibly an opportunity to live a different kind of life that she hadn't considered, and uh, like in that final. There's a conversation that they have, I think it's in the Cherry Blossoms, and she refers to him in the first person, because that's a, a thing we haven't even just said, is that she always talks in the third person, um, but she doesn't with him at that point. She still refers to herself as she, but mm. she doesn't refer to him as he. She says you, which she normally doesn't, and it's kind of like a subtle hint that he means more to her than she's letting on, you know? And it's yeah. I, I like that they never actually outright say anything. It's just shown to you in their small but meaningful scenes that they do have with each other, you know? No, it does become more in intimate between the two because she is a badass woman. She doesn't let anyone get too close. She's that very kind of typical archetype. But the more the movie goes on, the more that she sits closer to him, they have more conversations. It, it The whole thing just becomes more intimate. And that's another example of the fact that she says you, um, which is just kind of creating the um, intimacy between the two. Yeah. And uh, I also love the fact that when they're in the desert, because the, all of these scenes are really close to each other. And, you know, uh, Michael's character, Jason, is kind of freaking out. And 
he you know he's talking to Jet Li's monk who is just being silent and unhelpful but he finally says you know but what if I what if I freeze and I can't do this and Jet Li just sort of looks at him and he's like don't forget to breathe and mm. again like ev- pretty much every line of dialogue in this film that comes back at the very very end which we'll get to because that is literally the end but that is yeah <laughs> it, I love the fact that every lesson that he learns they find a way to make that not just a throwaway line. And yes, you could say that they do it a little bit too much, but I personally like it. No, I like that too. I was really worried that when um, Jackie Chan was saying, I need alcohol, it's my elixir, and it's explained that all the immortals have an elixir, why it happens to be his, which is why he's constantly drunk, because alcohol, being drunk is a superpower. Um, So the fact that he sort of says, I can't go with you because I need to have a steady stream of wine. And when he gets the arrow in the back, he doesn't have enough wine to be able to heal himself. Um, Because I thought that was going to be a throwaway thing. I thought they weren't going to go back to that, but they did. And I thought that was a good, good moment. Um, Because it's sort of bringing, one, it brings the group close together and it has to make um, Jason uh, make a decision about how, is he going to do his job with the staff or is he going to now go to protect someone he actually generally cares about and a group that he's starting to generally care about. It's very sentimental, but I actually think it works works in this, even though it's a weird shift time in editing wise. Um, but yeah, I do. I was kind of worried, like, oh, they're just not going to bring back the fact that um, Jackie Chan needs needs wine, but they do actually bring that back, and they just happen to go a monastery that has no wine. I'm like, really? <laughs> Dallas monks don't like wine. <laughs> yes, um, that that whole sequence is great because. Again, much like Jet Li says that he's been doing this since he can remember, when Sparrow says that she does not think uh, one of the immortals needs her help, he doesn't actually say anything. He just says, so where are you going, child? Like, he avoids the question whilst pretending like the answer is obvious, that it's like, at no Mm. point does he ever actually say he is an immortal. He just goes with what everybody else thinks, and it's one of those lies of omission, and the fact that uh, Jet Li doesn't believe that he's an immortal and he has that hilarious scene where he tries to make it rain and he just pees on him instead, which I didn't find hilarious originally, but now I do because it's like he is... They're trying to hint at the fact that this super serious character ain't so serious and it's an act and it's like, oh yeah, there's a reason for that. It's because he's a prankster. <laughs> yes. No, I love that bit because it's so arduous because he has to like spit in the ink and use his mouth to wet the um to wet the brush it's very arduous and everyone's like really dehydrated and the fact that Jet Li already knows that the, the mountains are just way over there and they're gonna go they're really close to water um because if he was a douse monk he could do that like he's on Jet Li from the get-go that he might not exactly be who he says he is but he well he might be because he if you go by the ending he is very old but it is um, this kind of wonderful thing of like he's constantly just like poking him and showing him up like you're not you're not that magic. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And um, just before we get the arrow in the back, when they're in the cherry blossoms, we also finally get a meeting between the White Witch and all of the the main squad, and she mm. sort of hints at the fact that they're not all what they appear because she basically like dresses them all down and she's like a child seeking for vengeance and 
uh, a misfit from another land and then she's like an old drunk and a monk who has failed at the same task for half of his life and you're just like mm. oh okay how do you know so much yeah. about these guys you know well oh, yes oh, it's it's kind of amazing like she kind of feels like this omnipresent like i don't think she's introduced to about halfway through either oh no she just i lie she comes up in the um in the restaurant scene because she has that amazing the amazing whip that can just like strangle people yes and i love yeah. how and- and I, yeah, I love how she does not trust any man. Like she's just like oh, men always lie. It just it gives so much detail to her character without giving a backstory. I love it. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, it's the same with the warlord. Like they build up his character. Like in the beginning, he's just despicable, and it's like he's trapped the monkey king because he lied. But then, as the film goes on, they show you other aspects of him, and it's like he goes from just being an asshole to like, no, this guy is just evil to the core. Like there isn't any redeeming features. Um, they hint at a lot of stuff that they don't show, thankfully. Like when he kills his own uh guy for bringing him the news that someone has seen the staff, and it's just like you killed him for bringing you the news of what you asked for. Okay, working for you must be fun. And it's like, while, whilst that's happening, there's two women terrified of him in the background. And what's about to happen to them is pretty obvious. But again, they don't uh, linger on it. But uh, and then somehow he manages to get even worse from there. You know, it's like, well, how do he is so like evil and just uh, by the time you get to the end, it's like, I'm ready for this guy to die. <laughs> It's a pretty great death as well, but you're right. It's, again, it's a how this movie kind of trusts you to kind of fill in the blanks a little bit. Like, it doesn't need to show you everything. It could just have those two women um, scared. It could have how people react to him. And the more things he does, you're like, oh, you were always going, you're always an evil villain who's determined to take over the world. Um, the You trapping the Monkey King was just that first step in trying to amass more power. It wasn't about the fact that you were pissed at him. Yeah. Or it shows exactly. kind of your true your true colours. Um, but yeah, he, he's kind of a great villain cause you just hate him so much, but I do love the fact when he kills the guy Like the guy kind of knows he's about to die. And there's that other guy just like, he falls over and it just shows the next guy in line. I was like, oh, that's such a Darth Vader moment. I love it. <laughs> it's like, you're now in charge. <laughs> yeah, pretty up. much. And, like... and, it, and it's the same with the witch because <laughs> yeah. they, re- they reveal that the witch is basically working for him because if she does a good job, she'll be made immortal. And they kind of hint at the idea that. He likes the idea of an of her being immortal by his side, and that's all I'm going to say. Uh, but I think you can fill in the blanks of why he would want her to be immortally by his side. Mm. And I just like, like you say, there's so much stuff that they just leave up to the audience to either notice, think about, or not. And it's great. Um, but like you say, uh, we have this sequence where Jackie Chan is basically going to die. And that's when you get the reveal that he's not one of the immortals and he tells the story of how he was going to be. He mm. was picked, He, uh, but he failed the test because to be immortal, you have to not care about anyone. And the funny thing about that is it's like, yeah, that's literally what's caused all these problems because the warlord doesn't care about anyone and he just treats everybody like disposable, usable things. They're not people because they're mortals. Mm. And I love the line where he says... I would rather die a mortal who has cared about something than live as a man who's afraid of his own death. And I think that line is so impactful for so many people that never do anything because they're just afraid to. And it's like, but if you don't do anything and you're just worried about what might go wrong, 
you're not really alive, you know? No, that is so true. And again, it's kind of baked into the movie. That's why I kind of, um, I really enjoyed it because it's all these little details and it's all these really great character moments of this kind of grumpy old man who seems detached from everything, but he's actually going, no, I want to care about people. Um, I may have been hurt over and over again, but I'm fighting the good fight or with Jet Li being this, you know, when you first meet him, he's got absolute Jet Li bad, uh, badass face on uh, look. And then the more you, interact with him the more cheeky and funny and a prankster he is and then you realize oh because he was like it's the was the one piece of fur that didn't get caught in the jade or something like that was it or i might have missed the exact i know he was like a piece of fur yeah um, he, so they, in the duel with the jade warlord at the very start of the film mm. he has that moment where he pulls out a piece of, uh, he pulls out one of his hairs and obviously he he turns that into a clone of himself and then that clone fights the warlord and then the warlord kills the clone by slicing it in half. But the camera makes a deliberate point of showing you that when he does that, there's two strands of hair now instead of one, and they land on the floor. So I've always gone with the assumption is it's that original clone, but it's the strand of hair that was then cut in half. And that's why he doesn't look like a, a proper copy of the Monkey King, because he's only basically got half of the power he originally had anyway. See, I missed the second strand. Like, I, I saw the I saw the first when he did the clone. I saw the chopped in half, but I didn't see the 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 two strands of hair. So, um, yes, that makes absolutely perfect sense. See, this movie you could watch over and over again and just pick up new things. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I I, I do sometimes. Uh, I mean, I've watched it several times, but I know that when I first rewatched it, like after I hadn't seen it for a while, there was a lot of the the story stuff that I'd missed. And there was a lot of, like you say, there's so much stuff baked into the backgrounds as well, like foreshadowing and stuff you'll get the second time around. I mean, I noticed something that, again, isn't really part of the film, but it was just a funny moment where in, in the beginning, when you're still in the modern day world, one of the Chinese shops uh, that he passes is called something like uh chan's mechanics or something and i'm like mm, i'm sure that name isn't an accident <laughs> no i mean that's kind of what wonderful about this movie it's yeah it's so so smart like i know that i would watch it and go oh i didn't get that the second time first time around oh i'm not i didn't get that oh i missed that bit because it is a light like, I did read one review that was kind of like, oh, this is a movie for 13-year-old boys. And I'm like, kind of yes. I mean, this would be a good introduction if you wanted to show, like, a 10-year-old, hey, I'll show you something really cool. This is what this is. But at the same time, it's it's kind of more dense than just a kid's movie. I wanted to say, like, Dragon Ball Z movie, but I haven't seen the Dragon Ball Z movie, so I could be talking absolute shy. So I, I, I don't know. When Sorry, when you say the Dragon Ball Z movie, do you mean the live-action Dragon Ball Evolution Oh yeah, the the live one with the the all the white guys in it that oh. had no Asians or very yeah. <laughs> yeah, no. If you if you ask me, what would I rather watch, this or or that? Then yes, this is a better Dragon Ball Z movie than that was. Which, in fairness, is partly because mm. the character of Goku originally is based on the Monkey King. So <laughs> ah. Because I was sort of watching it going, there's an anime feel to this, especially when Jason wakes up in, in China for the first time. I'm like, that feels like an anime shot. There's a definite animated kind of feel to it. Oh, 100%. Um, like, um, yeah, I just, I don't know enough about anime to go, this is what this is. 
Yeah, so the the original Dragon Ball manga and Dragon Ball anime, not Dragon Ball Z, which was uh, the sequel series, mm. is very much Goku is the Monkey King. It's not straight up said that he is Sun Wukong, like mm. um, because obviously he's Goku, but they leave enough to open to the imagination, uh, and it's very much a martial artist's anime. It wasn't really until Dragon Ball Z that they then went off into space and they had all these superpowers and they could suddenly destroy planets and you know they were fighting aliens and then they decided that goku was an alien all of that stuff was from z the but mm. the original dragon ball is much more just these guys are really cool martial artists they use their key to do special attacks they learn from ancient you know kung fu masters or mm. karate masters however you want to look at it and you know it, 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 you can see and he has a tail because he's a monkey uh, you know, he's part monkey, so mm. yeah, it's and he has a, a staff just like the Monkey King does. It's it's all there. <laughs> <laughs> it but, is, yeah. So that was my impression of it. I'm like, but I yeah, I think this might be something like that, but I only have a vague imagery of what I remember about it. So yes, that makes so much more sense. <laughs> so yeah, Jet Li hilariously fights in inverted commas Jason uh for uh, a couple minutes and he just moves like lightning by comparison to the Michael, which I found hilarious. And then, yes, as you alluded to it earlier, Michael makes the decision that he is going to prioritize Jackie's life over everything else. And he goes to the Warlord's Palace, despite the fact that Jet Li had a different plan that would have allegedly been easier and worked. But I do like that scene because. The warlord is so determined to appear regal and uh uh what's the word I want? Heavenly, I it, guess. He, yes, he's very yeah. important that he is like being very nice and very civil and uh I love the moment so much when he's like, So what do you want? And he's like, I want the elixir and he's like, Well that's actually a, a pretty fair deal and I don't really have an issue with that. But the problem is is I've already promised it to the witch. And I love the fact that he's like, yeah, but she didn't bring you the staff. I did. And the warlord's like, the boy does have a point. Mm. <laughs> like, oh, a villain that finally sees. Yeah, most of the time your henchmen do absolutely nothing in these films. <laughs> and she doesn't. No. I, and also like the fact that he will screw over the witch in a second. Yes, he wants her to be immortal. He would like her to be immortal and at his side, um, as well as a lot of other things. but. If he can get what he wants in the moment, he will totally go and blah blah. So it's not like it kind of shows that he has absolutely no loyalty whatsoever. And the fact that Jason is doing this out all out of loyalty, even though it's like completely misguided and he just sort of just listened to Jet Li for a second. Um, he's doing it out of loyalty. He's doing it out of the fact that he cares about Jackie Chan and wants him to live and will sacrifice. May, uh, he will try and sacrifice something so that can happen, um, which is kind of what Jackie Chan does teach him at the end. It's about standing up for yourself, standing up for the people around you, and not just trying to hide from danger, even if that decision in the moment wasn't the right one to do. But yeah, I, I love the characterization. It's like, well, he does have a point, and you can just see her going, ah, oh, fuck. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and uh, man. <laughs> unfortunately, you also do kind of get the impression that he'd already kind of planned for that because he was like, "Well, 
I don't really care who gets the elixir, but I guess that you'll have to resolve it with a fight to the death. But then realistically, he knows that there ain't no way he's going to beat her. She's yeah. She's got way more years of experience at fighting. She's magic herself. You know, it's like the only other beings that are going to stand up to her are people like him that are immortals. Like he, a guy that's just started learning Kung Fu, however long the film takes place over is not going to win. And he doesn't, which is a, which was a nice point. No, because usually that those movies are someone who comes outside from a community learns to be part of community and then becomes best of the community. I mean, I'm looking, I'm thinking of Avatar, which as much as I do love the movie Avatar, that is Avatar. He comes in and becomes the best Avatar or the best uh, Navi that there is um, in a relatively short period of time. Uh, Jason doesn't. Like, he has learned a lot, but he is never going to be as good as the people around him because they have way more experience and a slightly... Quite a bit supernatural. Yes, yes. And this is the moment where Jet Li and Sparrow come quite literally riding in to save the day, or at least save Jason. And uh, I've made a point of saying that this is also where we kind of get a change in the way everybody fights. Because even Jason, who's never killed anyone before, gets up and slits a guy's throat. And I'm just yeah. like, wow, that just happened. That like gets glazed <laughs> over like it's nothing. And then... It cuts and Jet Li's killing people with a staff on an axe. And I'm like, oh, we just, we, everyone's killing now. I, 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 fine, I get it. But for someone, a kid that's never killed anyone before to just get up and be like, shing. I'm just sort of like, I feel like there might have been more filmed for that. But they were like, yeah, we don't really have time to fit fit in a crisis of killing in. <laughs> um, It goes way more violent at the end than I was expecting. I think this is the part of the movie where it gets a bit too heavy CGI, and this is when I started noticing some of the ropiness oh, of it. 100%. Um, but at the same time, I'm like, oh, so suddenly everyone's killing now. Okay, because this has not been a overtly... There's been a few points where you have a few daggers and a few things like that, but it's not an overtly violent, violent movie. It's more fantasy violence. This is straight up, yeah, as you said, slit the throat. They are really slicing into people. I'm like, wow, okay, we are suddenly here. The only thing I wonder is are the guards immortal too in which case they are just gonna heal and get back up because at the very very end there doesn't they they all seem to be bowing at the emperor like nothing happened uh, and there's no like bodies strewn around the place um but i don't know i don't know but any anyway um we then get to see Jet Li fight the warlord while sparrow fights the witch and jason fights the guards Mm. And uh, against just regular guards, he does a lot better. He gives a much better account of himself. And what I really like in this fight is Jet Li is an amazing martial artist and the character has been shown to be a badass, but the warlord is an immortal. And what I, I you know, I, I agree with you that this, this end sequence does rely too much on CGI, but they do a really good job of making the warlord look like a demon. Like, you they aren't do. gonna beat him. Like I love the 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 bit where he jams a staff into his throat, and instead of like in real life where you, that would cause some problems, the warlord just sort of stands there and then pushes his neck forward and just throws gently forward. But the way that they do that movement is so like big trouble in Little China, you know? It's like oh, it just freaks me out every time when he just suddenly becomes this almost like monstrous entity that just nothing can stop. 
No, it is. And it's it's kind of a thing of teamwork with uh, Lou, uh, Lou having to sacrifice herself to, to actually get him because she has that uh, pin, that green jade. Yeah, so it's a jade dart. Jade dart that can kill anything and that's going to be, it's like a one bullet to, to, kill, to kill him. And it does eventually kill him, but it takes gently throwing it. It takes her um, trying to throw it. It doesn't work because he pushes it back. Jason picking it up, gently throwing him into Jason's arms, and then Jason stabbing him, and then he starts to evaporate. Um, I actually like that sequence when he's turning gray and he's starting to fall apart and oh, he's yeah, that, over the lava. That bit's done really, really well. But I will, yeah. I will just stress as well that when we say Jet Li, it's not the Jet Li that is fighting. Oh, him it's the to monkey. With. It's, yeah. it's the monkey. Yeah, sorry, it is the Monkey King. Um, because they've uh, um they've kind of distracted everyone enough for. I can't remember who actually gives him the staff. It's Jason, isn't it? Um, uh, J- Jason uses the staff to break the Monkey King free, and Jet because uh, Jet Li basically chucks him the staff and then sacrifices himself to make sure the Warlord won't stop him. Exactly. Yes, and so then Jet Li crawls up to him, and then you realize he's actually a piece of fur, and it goes back onto the Monkey King, and then the Monkey King's like, "Oh, I get to go kick some ass now. This is awesome!" And then proceeds to. But yeah, it's it's a um a collection of the way people can work together and trial and fail to actually get this guy. So it's not like someone just does a really amazing blow and then he's dead. It has to be a team effort. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I love that bit so much because the way in which you see Jet Li getting his ass kicked because you know he he it's annoying that they use CGI blood for that wound on the shoulder because it sticks out so much it drives me mad but Mm. he's you know he's not gonna win and he realizes this so it's like he has to free the monkey king and this is his only shot and if he dies now it's, it's game over basically and then they manage to do it, but it's at the cost of his own life. And when the Monkey King reforms, he sees his doppelganger pass away, essentially. Or, you know, he turns mm. back into a hare. But the music mm. is so sad, and the acting from Jet Li is like, he's happy that he's managed to complete his task, even though it's taking him years to do it. A very long time. <laughs> But, 500 give or take a few decades, yeah, I think, exactly, yeah. Exactly, and it's just that moment of, like, sadness but also happiness, and then the music just suddenly goes really, like, aggressive, and then you see that close-up shot of the Monkey King, and it's like, my turn. And it's like, <laughs> he hasn't looked so pissed off throughout the whole movie. And then, bearing in mind, you've just seen that the Warlord is basically this unstoppable monster, and in three hits, the Monkey King has just flattened the Warlord and smashed him through his own throne. And as as an audience who's just watched him basically kill the Jet Li we've spent the whole film with, I think I would distinctly remember everyone in the cinema cheered when that happened. <laughs> no, because it is, because you realize how, because you kind of forget how powerful the Monkey King is, because the whole beginning of the movie is building up to how powerful this um, prankster is. And so when he goes, my turn, and then he just starts wailing on him, you're like, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. And at the same time, uh, the monks who were in the temple show up, who naturally are also Kung Fu masters, so they kind of even the numbers out, but they also bring Jackie Chan's uh, Lou with them, and we get to see Jason 
essentially helps Sparrow out. Uh, this is obviously before she goes after the the warlord from the witch, but he uses Jackie's like drunken movements to essentially steal the elixir, and then mm. after a series of hilarious motions, Jackie drinks the elixir. And he comes back stronger than ever, and he flies over everybody and starts just throwing dudes around left, right, and center, laughing his ass off. And then he uh, goes and reintroduces himself to the witch that stabbed an arrow in his back and um, gleefully takes his revenge. <laughs> I, yeah, because she's got magic hair where she can kind of fling everywhere, which is um, great. CGI is a little bit ropey with that, but when he's kind of hanging off the castle... She's kind of there. She's pulling herself up, and he's just dangling there. The fact that he just gets a pair of scissors and just like cuts, and she's like, "Oh no!" and then falls. I thought I thought it was a really nice touch. I was like, "Yeah, that that's a cool death." Yeah, and and the fact that because he's now immortal, he is essentially able to just use all of his supernatural powers to just wail on everybody. He's now able to fight the witch. They have a nice kung fu fight before he tries to throw her over. And at the same time, Jet Li's fighting the Warlord. You get this wonderful, um, everybody gets equal screen time, I think is the nicest way of putting it. And then, like yeah. you say, you get the teamwork moment where Sparrow gives the dart to Jason, Jet Li kicks the Warlord, and he falls straight into Jason and kills him. And then we get that wonderful moment where he just evaporates, disintegrates, and falls into hell. Yes. No, I, I like that a lot. I like the fact that that hell is just kind of under his throne room. Actually, yeah. It's just like, there it is. <laughs> I also love the fact that that then causes the Jade Emperor to return. And, you know, Jason's like, can you help Sparrow? And he's like, mm, no, you know, she, her destiny was written by her own hand. And it kind of leaves it up to interpretation. It's like, he might have the power to revive her, but it was her choice to go down this path, and she kind of mm. knew what that meant, so I ain't intervening. Um, yeah, so I took it. Yeah, that's that's that's. I think that's the better way of taking it. Um, and then, obviously, we get that the moments where the Jade Emperor... I, I, this does always make me laugh, where he basically is like, I'm an immortal deity that can like change the fabric of reality, tell me what you desire and it will be yours. And he's like, I just want to go home. And, and the Emperor's like, oh, all right then, don't take advantage of my once-in-a-lifetime kind offer. Um, you were going home anyway, kid, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I know, I like that too. It was just like, I could have given you everything. I was going to send you home, but if that's what you want, <laughs> look, See, look at your heels three times. Because <laughs> my, my reading is, because as you already said, at the very end of the film, it turns out that Sparrow is in Jason's reality. Mm. My thought process has always been that the, the Jade Emperor did that because she wasn't there beforehand. Like that no. she only appears afterwards, and I'm convinced that that was the Jade Emperor sort of going, I couldn't bring her back in this life, but reincarnation, yeah, here you go. This is a different version of Sparrow, and this one isn't obsessed with vengeance, so see what you do <laughs> she's, just, she's just a cool lady who kind of likes you so the rest is up to you <laughs> exactly and i also love the you know you get the final words of wisdom from uh now an immortal jackie chan and the monkey king and jackie's whole thing is like you know 
he says, I, I won't never forget you. And he's like, well, I guess that's what it means to be truly immortal, which mm. again, I like. And then Jet Li says, uh, you freed me, traveler. Now go free yourself. And I love that line because this feels like the end of the film, but the story isn't over yet because it's Jason's story and he still has a lot of problems in his life. And it's like, you've, you've learned all these lessons now actually go apply them go and free yourself and that's what he does and this is a point where the film sort of plays with your brain because by showing you that sparrow existed and that the shop she works in is called the golden sparrow and all of the elements that maybe made up what was happening in this other world are kind of there in chinatown i've seen quite a few people sort of go are they implying that this all happened in his head like it was like blunt force trauma to the brain and that you know he got all these injuries because he fell off the top of a really tall building and i'm like no because the staff has disappeared and the cut on his cheek which he got from the warlord is still there <laughs> it's like we're not doing a weird psychological twist at the 11th hour he was in another world deal with it <laughs> no i i think it's very much a wizard of oz thing where things happen at the same time yes dorothy knocked her head had a dream but she also went to Oz. Um, I don't think it's that. I think he actually did go to another realm and did all those things. But yeah, I think the movie is definitely playing on a slight Wizard of Oz thing at the end more than it is anything else. I think it, I think it does want you to think of Wizard of Oz, except it reminds you that it isn't because now he knows Kung Fu. Yes. And he beats up uh, Lupo, which is a very satisfying sequence. And I also got to say, uh, Michael's Kung Fu that is the strongest it looks throughout the entire film like and again going back to what i said earlier he is he basically reverts back into the character he was at the very start of the film he's running away he gets trapped he gets kicked in the chest again mm. and then while he's down on the floor he starts breathing properly and that sort of calms him down and then he's like i can do this Let's do this. And then, yeah, I, I actually really like that end sequence because that fight is really well choreographed and it's yeah. not between two martial art legends. And it just kind of goes to show you Young Wu-Ping can make anyone look good, quite frankly. Yeah. He can. No, I, I love it as well because it's it's the classic trope of the psycho bully. I mean, this guy is fine with killing everyone. He's threatening his friends. He's basically saying, I'm going to kill Jason. He's already oh. shot. Uh, let's yeah. let's be honest. They they they're not his friends. They're the people that are too afraid of him to walk away. This is true. And then they do once he realizes, like all bullies, as soon as they lose a little bit of power, that's when everyone kind of bolts and they lose their footing. But um, he is an absolute psycho worthy of the Stephen King bully, and I do like the fact that you know he just gets the living shit bit out of him. It's so so fun. Yes, and then uh, once he's taken care of that, he goes back. Uh, to the to the main street where an ambulance has been called for old man hop and then he goes up to him and he's like is he gonna live and they're like well the bullet missed his heart so we think he'll be fine and then you get that that wonderful brain bending line of of course i'm all right i'm immortal i'm gonna live forever and you're like mm. wait a minute <laughs> is that yeah. is that supposed to be the same character <laughs> wait what's happening is it did he go back into the what's that yeah that's when you start like going hang on a minute especially he goes did you give back the staff and he's like yes so i'm like what are we doing with um uh, uh 
the tra- tra- time travel rules here i'm not sure what's happening <laughs> well yeah because the thing is is again is when you rewatch it knowing that twist at the very very start the old guy who is trusts him for some reason but he doesn't let any other white kid into the shop and then when he's like uh talking to him about the films he likes he smiles and he says i knew a white boy like you once he knew kung fu he kicked everybody's ass and he got the girl and it's like he's talking about him he's talking about the journey he's gonna go on in a bit but you don't know that then (laughs) no (laughs) especially because the fact at the beginning he does not know kung fu (laughs) no exactly but um that that's that's the end of the film and uh I hope you guys enjoyed listening. This is definitely a longer episode, but it's Jackie Chan and Jet Li, Lee Bing Bing, the lady that would play Mulan, whose name we're both too afraid to keep saying. Um, you know, it's one of those it's one of those films that I personally have always enjoyed. I saw this in the cinema with my father and grandfather, and yes, there were things that uh, that could have been done better that I wish had been done differently, but overall, I don't think this is a bad film. Like you said, it's definitely a family-friendly film first and foremost. I have always said that this is the sort of film that I would put on with like my siblings or younger friends to sort of like dip their toes in the water of these sorts of films and see how they react. And it's annoying that to a degree because of that, yes, we don't get the hard action that I think maybe everybody was expecting. But I think if you go in knowing what this film is, it's kind of hard to hate it, you know? It's just a movie that's happy to be there. I, I Yeah, I don't know. How, I, I can't hate it. Um, One, because I think it is actually got some really nice good things in there. I do like the action. Yes, it is a family-friendly movie. I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing. I don't think just because a movie is um family orientated, as in the whole family can watch it, doesn't mean that it's a bad movie. It doesn't mean it's for kids. It just means... I, you could let a 10-year-old watch it without worrying if they're going to be traumatized and suddenly become a hardcore Lucio Fulci fan when, when they're older because you've kinder taught them. Um, this is a movie that is, yeah, it's it's sweet. It's happy to be there. It's fun. It, it, it's got different tones to it. And, yeah, it's not perfect, but what movie is? And the stuff I don't like about it does, never took me out of it because there was so much stuff to like. So, no, it's a really special movie, and thank you for – introducing it to me <laughs> that's that's quite all right i do have to ask though because i don't think we've really mentioned it and i know we've been talking for a while but what were the things that you you didn't really like uh because i know you said a couple of the this effects were ropey but what was the other stuff i think it was just michael um Anagero's performance um he did feel a little lost because i think he was with so many good actors it's kind of like um the oh no I'm blanking sorry it's it's late here uh the James Bond movie with um uh, Christmas Jones um that actor she's not a bad actor but when you put her next to things like um uh Coltrane um Pierce Brosnan uh Judy Dench all these amazing like classically trained actors she can feel she's like oh that's a little lesser than but that was about it it was just and maybe some of the pacing near the end I think when they were hanging out in the cherry blossoms, it took a long time to get to the next part, but those are all kind of really minor things. I still think it's a really great movie. Yeah. Um, and Denise Richards is who you're talking about. Denise Richards. Thank you. <laughs> I was like, who the hell is Christmas Jones? And then I, I was, Oh, oh. 
don't remember her name. I remember that face. Anyway. Yes. Um, <laughs> Christmas comes twice a year. <laughs> yes. And uh, the, uh, I, I agree with you. Like his, his, I think his acting has grown on me simply because I've seen the film so many times, but I agree with mm. you. He was not and never will be the best thing about this film. I do think he had an impossible task, though, of being the unlikable character in a film where everybody wants to focus on Jet and Jackie. Um, yes. And, uh, that was not a fair, that's not a fair position to put anyone in. No, exactly. Um, and also the, the, the pacing at the end and the, especially in the second half, I agree with you, does kind of just ramp up. It feels like they suddenly, it's not like they suddenly remember that they have to end the film soon, but I do wonder if there was a lot of stuff that was left on the cutting room floor in order it feels to. That way. In all, in, yeah, because, you know, nowadays, sitting down for a two and a half hour film is not that unusual. But back in 2008, people would have been like, are you kidding me? This isn't Lord of the Rings. What are we doing? Yeah, pretty much. Now it's like, oh, yeah, the new Avatar is going to be over three hours. Of course it is. Um, this would have been like a much harder sell for, for an over two and a half hour movie, which I think it could have easily contained. Like, I don't think if this was two and a half hours, I would have been upset at all. No, no, I I think it would have benefited from that because mm. you also, you know, one of my favorite scenes in in the film, not uh, uh, individually, but when they're in the cherry blossoms and they fight the witch, they fight her squad of goons, and then um, that is the only scene in the entire film where all four of them fight side by side, uh, yes. and and that is just so weird to think about that. That is the only time they do it because there's just so much going on. There's so much time devoted to this character's backstory or these two characters fighting or the bad guys got to be introduced. And it's like there's only one scene where they all fight side by side that isn't the finale. And they don't really fight side by side in the finale because of what's happening in the story. Mm, exactly. So, yeah, I think a lot of it was left on the cutting room floor because... They knew they were going to market this as a family movie. Um, they knew that they, this is even before Iron Man comes out. So they were like, yeah, we can't make this. This is not Lord of the Rings. We can't justify a two and a half hour movie when I think the movie could have actually been, benefited from being more epic. But in saying that, I'm really happy with this. I'm so glad that I have this movie now because I get to watch it again. <laughs> yes, please do. And I'm glad that you enjoyed it and enjoyed talking about it and Wow, that is so funny to think about that uh, this is uh, pre-MCU cinema, folks. There's probably kids out there that don't even know what that is. I know. There was a... Kids, let me tell you a time before there was an MCU. <laughs> before all franchises had to have a plan and be connected. A unit. There was no universe. <laughs> no, no. If, uh, if you wanted Blade to team up with the Fantastic Four, you bought action figures and did it in your imagination. Exactly. <laughs> ah, anyway, I think that that brings us to a close. Thank you, Lindsay, for coming on. I'm sorry it was uh, such a long one, but I think we both just enjoyed talking about this. I think, yeah, it was a really fun movie, and there's so much to dig into that that the more you talk about, it, you're like, oh, but that point and that point. So yeah, but thank you so much for having me on. That's all right, and uh, I I'm gonna just say this for everybody listening. Uh, this is going to be a very long time you're hearing this after it's been recorded. I mean, I say a very long time, it's all relative, but it won't be straight away. So if it is now 2023, at the time of your listening, Happy New Year. Because <laughs> it certainly wasn't when we recorded it. <laughs> nope. 
<laughs> and with that note, I shall throw it over to myself of the future who can confirm or deny that and uh, tell you what's coming next. But thank you once again, Lindsay, for coming on, and I'll see you in a sec. So, uh, first things first, welcome, welcome. This is the outro. Hello. If it's your first time here, welcome on in. First thing I want to say, because I noticed it when I was editing, and I meant to say it in the intro and then didn't, so I'm going to say it now, because it's really not that important. Um, I'm aware that Austria isn't a language. Um, you know, Austrian isn't a language for the country of Austria. They speak German. However, it is Austrian-German, so don't be one of those people that comes at me to uh, let me know in painful detail that I was wrong, because technically, yes, but also technically, no. It wasn't until I was editing it back that I realized that I didn't make that clear. And I'm sure most of you don't even care, but I know somebody out there does care. So I just thought I'd get in there before people start sending me those, well, actually, comments and messages. Because we all know we get them. But with that said, I hope you enjoyed the episode. I certainly enjoyed listening back to it, and I enjoyed talking to Lindsay about it at the time. I'm sure you won't have to wait long to hear Lindsay come back, and as I said in the episode, and I think I've said in other episodes, I've been on the Slock and Ore podcast, so perhaps I shall return on there to do another double duo of things that are not necessarily related to action films. I don't know yet. The future is a mystery. But I do know what is going to be happening next week. In fact, if you listen to the Triple X episode, you might already know. Depending on when I edit something uh there will be an interview style episode coming soon <laughs> soon trademark uh but the next actual like proper episode that's going to be about a film will feature the debut appearance of bead from the super network podcast and we're going to talk about a film that actually gets mentioned in this episode the expendables because if you're looking to get the job done be it murder or rescuing ladies, you can't do better than old guys who were popular back in the 80s. See you then, dudes. But until then, take care of yourselves. I hope January is treating you well, and I will see you all in the next one. On the action and-